following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday here on Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? The show where we play your favorites from old time radio. Monica Jones is off for this week so I'll be your host Victor Gouveia and remember if you like what you're about to hear hit that like button whether you're listening to us on our Facebook page or on Twitter you can follow us on both platforms or you can subscribe to us and like us on YouTube. If you can't catch us live, you can always catch us on repeats and on podcasts. Our podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, or Spotify, among others. And if you want to contact Monica at any point, you can email her at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. That's S as in Sam, U N D A E. Again, that's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S U N D A E, at gmail.com. Our first production is the Academy Award Theater presentation of The Devil and Miss Jones. And honestly, because I'm not that experienced with old-time radio, I actually thought this was a pornographic flick. Believe it or not, because there is a pornographic movie called The Devil and Miss Jones from 1973. As it is, it's a comedy, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. So here is The Devil and Miss Jones. House of Squibb presents Academy Award. Tonight, Charles Coburn and Virginia Mayo in The Devil and Miss Jones. <laughs> Every week, Squibb brings you Hollywood's finest. The great picture plays, the great actors and actresses, techniques and skills chosen from the honor roll of those who have won or been nominated for the famous Golden Oscar of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. generations, the House of Squid has been known for the high quality and unfailing dependability of its products, each the result of a never-ending quest for perfection. Today, the great family of Squid products reflects the tremendous advance of science in its contribution to human health and well-being. The name Squid stands for progress through research. Squid is a name you can trust. Tonight, Squibb brings you a laugh-provoking comedy, The Devil and Miss Jones, 
the picture which was nominated in 1941 for two Academy Awards. In our cast tonight, you will hear Charles Coburn playing the role he created on the screen for The Devil and Miss Jones. Co-starring is Virginia Mayo as Miss Jones. Mr. Coburn has twice been nominated as Best Supporting Actor of the Year and in 1943 won the coveted Academy Award. This is the story of a horrible old capitalist who was supposed to be a devil, but really turned out to be a pretty good egg. And of a dame who was supposed to be symbolic of the common man, but who really turned out to be pretty human, too. All in all, you can call it a merry tale in which it is proved that heaven always protects the working girl. Good morning, J.P. How are you, J.P.? Good morning, J.P. Good morning. I see by the papers that I have been hanged in effigy in front of that department store at 38th Street. Some desperate malcontents must have done it. I thought I sold everything below 38th Street three years ago. We kept it, J.P., because the store was exactly on 38th Street. Hmm. This dummy doesn't look like me. Maybe it's supposed to be one of you. Oh, which uh, one? What? There's a sign on the dummy with your name on it. Have this picture enlarged and everybody even watching it fired. An excellent oh. suggestion, J.P. Beg pardon, sir. Your lunch. Will you have the crackers whole? Or shall I crumble them in the milk sack? Crumble them, you idiot. We're rounding up the troublemakers. We have a detective working on it. Where is this detective? In the next room, J.P. That's all, gentlemen. Good day. Yes, hey, J.P. Are you the detective? Yes, sir. I'm Higgins, Thomas Higgins. What progress have you made, Higgins? Oh, I've gotten a job in the store. Nobody knows I'm a detective except the personnel head. Not even the general manager. I see. I'm a salesman in the children's shoe department. That's the hotbed, the whole fifth floor. When do you propose to round up these troublemakers? Well, Mr. Merrick, it'll take time. i got to worm my way in. About three weeks. Three weeks? Why not three days? Well, sir, first got to go down to Philly, uh... <laughs> My wife's having a baby. I see. Well, Higgins, you should be with your wife. I'll, uh, yes, I'll get someone else for this assignment. Oh, I'll, I'll keep your card if you don't mind. Gee, thank you, sir. You're very kind. That's all right, Higgins. That's all. More milk, sir, or anything? Don't say anything. Anything means crackers. Come here, George. Yes, Mr. Merrick. George? I'm going to delve into conditions. I'm going down to that store of mine, mix with the employees, let them talk to me, and I'll play with them like a cat with a mouse. Oh, my, Mr. Merrick. Not Mr. Merrick, George. For a while, my name is going to be Higgins. Thomas Higgins. <laughs> yes, Thomas Higgins. <laughs> Thank you. And what can I do for you, sir? Oh, uh, I'm working here. I'm a new salesman. Oh, you're Higgins. Uh-huh. You mean Higgins, don't you? Yes, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Higgins, in the intelligence test you took this morning, your rating was 66. Uh, that's one point over the lowest passing grade. Perhaps there was some mistake. We don't make mistakes, Higgins. Neely's is never wrong. This is the lowest intelligence rating in my department. I hope you have other qualities to compensate for it. <laughs> for your own sake. Uh, Miss Jones, don't lean against my desk, Higgins. Yes, Mr. Hooper. Uh, Miss Jones, I'm assigning Higgins to slippers. 
Show him his duty. Welcome to the shoe department, Mr. Higgins. You come right with me. Now, this is your counter. Bedroom, lounging, and house slippers. It's really the best job, Mr. Higgins. No bending down for try-ons. He doesn't think I'm good enough to sell shoes, is that it? Oh, don't be silly. It's just the same. You have to be cleverer selling slippers than shoes. How could he tell I'm not as good a salesman as the next one? Oh, it's just your vanity that's hurt. You can sell shoes when you're relieved for lunch. And you show him then what a good salesman you are. Your lunch hour is from 12 to 1. That's in 30 minutes. I'm not going to eat lunch. You're not? I'll stay right here selling slippers. And I'll make a good impression. Mr. Higgins, why aren't you going to eat lunch? I'm not going to eat because I'm not hungry. I never have lunch anyway. You go to lunch at 12 sharp. Here, take this. I don't want your money. No argument. Well, you don't mind waiting on me, do you? Oh, uh, what can I do for you, madam? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Higgins. Yes? I want you to meet Elizabeth Ellis. She will show you where the employee's restaurant is when your lunchtime comes. Mm, thank you. Hello, Miss Ellis. I'll be back for you. Do I see the shoes I asked for or don't I? Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, of course, madam, of course. What kind of shoes do you wish? Button or strings? Are you sure you won't have anything? No, 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 no. Thank you very much. I, I, I never eat lunch. It's nicer out here in the park than in the company lunchroom, isn't it? Yeah, very nice. Don't you think it's terrible that the store won't let the people organize? I make these popovers myself. You're very rude not to try one. I wonder where they're holding a meeting tonight. Go ahead. Eat it. What is it? Tuna fish popovers. Tuna fish popovers? So excited. It's my own invention. Oh, no, I couldn't. I, really, I couldn't. Oh, please. If uh, I ask you... Have you got a graham cracker? Oh, a grown man eating graham crackers. There's no nourishment in that. Now, you eat that popover. It won't bite you. Won't it, though? <laughs> tuna fish. Mm. Like it? No, I don't know yet. Is it good tuna fish? It costs 12 cents a can. 12 cents a can? It's almost as good as you can buy. Almost as good? Eat it. Go on. Well, it tastes good. Well, thank you. Here, have another. No, 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 thank you, no. Oh, one's not enough to feed an infant, not take it. How does a man exist without a woman looking after him? I could tell you're a single man. You are single, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> what did you do before this? Oh, what kind of work? All kinds. Mm, you'd be surprised. Oh, oh, Mr. Hooper's coming. He is, is he? Wait until I put his name down in my little black book. Quiet Hooper. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Hooper. Good afternoon, Mr. Hooper. Uh, oh. How do you do, Miss Ellis? Walk right by. He usually sits here for a few minutes. I hope he's not angry. Give me another popover. Oh, yes, Mr. Hooper. Oh, we must get back to the store. Lunchtime is over. All right. Let's. Only one more flight, Mr. Higgins, then we'll be there. I hope so. My feet hurt. I've had a hard day at the store today. Well, it's after hours and the store's closed now. And you're on your own. 
Does your finger still hurt? Oh, a little. I can't understand how you've never been in an automat before. Uh, I've never thought of it. I could sue them getting my finger caught like that. <laughs> Higgins, tell me the truth. Was the manager right? Did you try and get that blueberry pie without putting in a nickel? I tell you, I did put in a nickel. But I went to get coffee and somebody must have sneaked the pie out. It was their responsibility to give me another piece of pie. And I would have gotten it, too, if you hadn't interfered. Oh, here we are. The door to the roof. Well, what's this? Oh, this is the meeting. Our meeting of store employees. Hello, baby. You're late. Who's this? Oh, Joe. This is Mr. Higgins. He started in the store today. Welcome, brother. Mr. Higgins, this is Joe O'Brien. He hung up the dummy of John P. Merrick. Yeah. Made the front page of the Times, all right. Did you see it, Mr. Higgins? Yes, I saw it. Well, this is quite a pleasure, Mr. Mr. O'Brien. Likewise, I'm sure. Well, come on, folks. We're about set to get started with the meeting. Oh, come on, Higgins. Stop writing in your diary. Huh? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Plenty of time for that, eh? <laughs> oh, Mr. Higgins. Why, Elizabeth. You here, too? Well, of course. And I knew you'd join us. I could tell it the minute I saw you. Yes, yes. Of, you could, of course. Couldn't you? Now, how many of you are here for the first time? And you'd probably like to know more about us. Well, we're not professional agitators. I started in the Neely store six years ago as a packing boy and worked myself up to assistant section manager. Now, what we want Excuse is what... Excuse me, Joe. Huh? If I may, I'd like to show you a practical case of what we're fighting for. Why, sure. This is Miss Jones of Children's Shoe. This is Mr. Higgins. Tom Higgins. How old are you, Mr. Higgins? Hmm? Fifty. Uh, Fifty-three. He's fifty-three. That's not very old. He came to work this morning in children's shoes without the few cents in his pocket to buy his lunch. And do you know how he got his lunch? From another employee, sharing a few crusts she brought which were hardly enough for herself. Oh, <laughs> Look at him. Fifty-three years of age. And nothing to eat. And in a few more years, he'll be let out. White-haired and friendless. With no one to turn to except charity. And the poorhouse... Mr. Higgins, please, take your seat. Oh, Mr. Higgins, you were so wonderful. Well, I didn't do anything. Oh, but you did. You were so brave, standing up there. My heart cried for you. What you needed, someone to care for you. To keep you. To keep you from going to the poorhouse. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, I, I never thought about it in just that way before, Miss Elizabeth. But you, you were so right. You were so wonderfully right, my dear. Remember, it pays to use Scrib Dental Cream whenever you want to feel your best, look your best, make the best impression. Try Scrib Dental Cream tomorrow. Taste, feel, and see the refreshing difference.
And now, the House of Squibb presents part two of Academy Award, starring Charles Coburn and Virginia Mayall in The Devil and Miss Jones. Is there anywhere in the world as divine as Coney Island on Saturday afternoon? Well, maybe, Liz, but it's too crowded to go look for it. <laughs> Digsy, are you having fun? Fun? Oh, oh yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, oh, I knew I'd forgotten something. There's a hot dog, Vanna. I'll get us some and be right back. Well, I think I'll go for a swim. Nobody's going to be watching you, so don't show off and swim down to Montauk. <laughs> <laughs> See you at Frankfurt a time in old Cody Island. I guess you love that young fellow, eh? Sort of. You know, Mr. Higgins, I've never even thought of what it would be like not to see him anymore. And that's probably the test of it. Why, if I thought I'd never see him again, I don't think I'd care if I lived or died. Mm. I guess that must be love. Oh, it isn't so hard to find, Higgins. Don't you find it when you look at Elizabeth? Well, I don't know, Miss Jones. You see, I've only been looking at her for a few days. But you must see something in her eyes. Well, I suppose I must. What could it be? Isn't it kind of soft, like moonlight? Doesn't it bounce back at you and give you kind of a hot foot inside when you see her looking at you like that? Mm, well, well, my dear, I think I'll go for a swim. What does one do? Well, one goes up to the bathhouse, rents a suit, and one dunks, doesn't one? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose one does, yes. I suppose one does. I beg your pardon, but I was wondering if I could find out whether my clothes are in your bag. You remember. Well, where's your locket key that has our name on it? I don't seem to have a key. I've been walking about for hours. Does this look like the place? Well, I rented this suit. Can you tell me if it's yours? Uh, no, brother. That ain't eyes. That's a pretty cheap suit. Mm, not yours, eh? Well, thank you. <laughs> Ain't never seen you before. You don't belong in this bathhouse. Try down the line. Thank you. How many more bathhouses are there around here? Oh, a couple hundred, maybe. I've got a big bargain for you, son. Huh? What's a gag? Hey, what you want? This is a cigar store, not a pawn shop. My watch. It's quite good. You can have it for a dollar. It's solid gold. Solid gold, huh? I'll take it back and bite it. Wait here. I say, you see, Sergeant, I find this character in a cigar store, and he's trying to sell his watch to the clerk. Mm -hmm. When I question him, he, he said he wanted the money to call his chauffeur. And besides that, he says he got the watch from the governor. I thought that was suspicious. It's suspicious enough for me. Lock him up. There he is. 
I'll say we will. Mr. Hitler. Hey, what is all this? These are my friends, sir. Now, now, we'll see. We'll see if you can lock up an innocent man. Now, let's get this straight, Sergeant. I'm a free American citizen. And under the Constitution, I've got my rights. And I say to you... cost us our last ten bucks. We got you out of jail, didn't we? Yes, Joe. You talked him right out of it. Yeah. Well, I'm sleepy. I, I got sand in my sock. And the subway's so crowded. Lie back, honey. We'll be home soon. Oh. Look at him. <laughs> Higgins and Liz. Just like turtle doves. <laughs> turtle dove yourself. By the way, when did you ever see any turtle doves? Oh, well, it's, it's just an expression. <laughs> Put your arms around me. Stop worrying about turtles. Elizabeth. Yes, Tom. I want you to tell me something. What is it? Didn't Cooper ask you to this picnic today? Yes, he did. Well, tell me, why did you go with me instead? Well, see, Mr. Hooper is the executive type. And you, well, you're sort of helpless. You need someone to look after you. He's the executive type, and I'm helpless. Now, don't be offended. People can't tell on themselves. But that's the type you are. For heaven's sake. I don't like the executive type. What you can see in him is beyond me. Well, he asked me to marry him during the clearance sale. Did you ever consider it? To be honest, I did. Well, why didn't you? Well, I didn't know whether I loved him. Maybe I'd be marrying him for his money. Has he got money? He makes $55 a week. But I don't see how a woman can marry a man with money. She'd always feel that maybe... Or maybe she'd married him not for what he was, but for what he had. And that's torn it. Oh. Oh, Jenny, this is our station. Uh, good night. Getting off. Say something. Huh? Oh. oh. Hey, hey, Higgins forgot something. Couldn't you say goodnight? What's the matter with you? No. Well, Higgins forgot a card. Fell out of his pocket on the seat. Oh, oh well, give it to me. I'll give it back to you in the morning. Uh. What is it, anyway? Oh, to whom it may concern. Thomas Higgins is employed in a confidential capacity and is accountable only to me, Arthur Davies, head of personnel, Neely's department store. What's that? Oh, no. Not Higgins. Not a spy. A dirty spy. Well, our friend Higgins seems to be a little late this morning. Probably drinking last night. Oh, he only had three beers. Yeah. You were with him yesterday? Yes. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, Mary and Joe. No, no, just Tom and I. I mean, Mr. Higgins and I. We, uh, we, we went to the beach. He asked me before you did, really. Yeah, that's perfectly all right. Ah, and who have we here? Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Mr. Higgins. Um, I mean, how long? We're a little late this morning, aren't we? Oh, are you a late, too? 
You are a little late this morning. Yes, I am. And why, may I ask? Because I overslept. I was tired. Oh, that's a novel excuse. Well, it's the truth. I don't like the tone of your voice. And I don't like the tone of yours. Who do you think you're talking to? Another employee at the store. That's all. And a darn poor one at that. Do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be fired. I'm going to be fired. Now, let me tell you something. You're going to be fired. How do you like that, huh? Why, Higgins, and I thought you were a company spy. Me, a spy? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. This is revolution. Never in all my years at Neely's. Oh, never. Oh, Grace. The world is going crazy. Oh, oh look, that's my Joe. What's the matter? Uh, now we'll see. All right, over here. Over here, gentlemen. Here's another dangerous character. Oh, company detectives. They've got my Joe. Hey, what's going on here? Uh, take this one, too. His name is Higgins. He's in on the plot. Come on, Higgins. Grab him, Louise. Come along quietly, Mr. Higgins. Come on, now, all of you. The general manager wants to see you. Take your hands off of me. Skip, Higgins. The Cossacks are putting a muscle on you. Where are you taking him? To the general manager's office. Is this how he makes people come to his office? Come on. Woo! Oh, oh, Mr. Higgins, they can't do this to you. I'll say they can't. Wait till I get that general manager. Shut up and come on. All right, Allison. So you're the general manager, eh? Now, let me tell you something, sir. I've observed firsthand how you discharge your responsibility. Can't you see dealing with people the way you do is the reason for this civil war around here? I've worked with these people. They've got rights. You bumble with it, idiot. Oh, Tom, it's wonderful what you're doing. And me thinking you were a spy. Well, you'll never be sorry. Let them fire you. As long as I have a breath in my body, you'll never go hungry. Yeah, Mr. Allison. Take these people and throw them out in the street. And then you, Miss Clover, make out discharge slips for everyone on the fifth floor. You can't do that to us. Oh, I can't, eh, Higgins? No, you can't. And my name isn't... Yes. Don't argue with him, Higgins. Don't argue with him. I'll say I won't argue with him. I'm going to fire him. I'm going to fire the whole pack of them. Oh, Higgins, you're overdoing it. Fire up, huh? First you come in here with a fishing complex. And now you've got delusions of grandeur. Throw him out. Oh, oh my. He thinks he's J.P. Merrick himself. Throw them all out. Just a minute, Mr. Wait, Allison. Wait, wait, Scott. I'll show you who is J.P. Merrick. I'll show you. Oh, relax, Higgy. It's easier when you hit the sidewalk. Well, you said they couldn't, but they did. Where did you land, Higby? Mm, well, never mind. Yeah. Yeah, one of these days we're going and throwing them out. I'm going back and do that now. Thomas, you come right here this instant. Who? Me? Yes. Stop writing in that little black book. We're on our way to get married. After all, who are we to keep the mayor waiting? <laughs> Higgins, where are you taking me? I'm taking my bride home. Upsy daisy. Oh, oh my Ooh, goodness. I've got to carry you over the threshold. You put me down this instant. Oh, I've lost your mind. This isn't where you live. This is the mansion of the old monster himself, J.P. Merrick. Oh, I don't want to spend my honeymoon in jail. Oh, good evening, Mr. Merrick. Good evening, George. Dinner for two this evening. And by the way, George, this is Mrs. Merrick. 
Get some clean rice, George. One only gets married once. Merrick? Mr. Merrick? You're not Higgins? No, my dear. I'm J.P. Merrick in the flesh. Oh! Turn down a bed, George. Mrs. Merrick has fainted. It isn't that I mind you being J.P. himself. Or me being Mrs. J.P. <laughs> what about all our friends? Have you forgotten my little black book, darling? We're going down tomorrow and spend the first day of our happy honeymoon getting things straightened out at that store. And I mean straightened out. After all, my dear, they can't push people like us around, eh? Oh, no, Thomas. I mean, J.P. Oh, I mean... Darling. Darling. <laughs> yes. Happy endings usually follow good beginnings. That's why starting the day right is so important. When you wake up refreshed by a good night's rest, ready for the exhilarating sting of a cool shower, you're glad to be alive. How wonderful it would be if you could recapture that feeling of early morning freshness whenever you felt like it. Well, you can. In the single act of brushing your teeth with Squib Dental Cream. For Squib Dental Cream tastes as fresh as an early Maytime morning with its frosty minty flavor. It's brisk, freshening action. Under your brush, it leaves your mouth feeling fresh and young. And Squib Dental Cream makes your mouth feel cleaner because it is cleaner. And best of all, you can have this fresh as the morning feeling whenever your mouth needs quick refreshment. Any hour in the 24, and always before you're going to meet people. For there's real charm protection in Squib Dental Cream. Try it tomorrow. Ask your druggist for Squib Dental Cream, one of the great family of Squib products. Taste, feel, and see the refreshing difference. Next Wednesday, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Awards starring Cary Grant and the glamorous ink star Ann Todd with Nigel Bruce in Suspicion. Today's performance of The Devil and Miss Jones was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. Our producer-director is The Engelbach. Charles Coburn is currently engaged as one of the stars in David O. Selznick's Technicolor production, Little Women. Miss Mayo appears through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn and will next be seen in the Samuel Goldwyn production, The Best Years of Our Lives. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you good night until next Wednesday at the same time when you're invited to listen again to Academy Award... Presented by the House of Squibb, a name you can trust. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Our next episode is from American Theater of Radio, and they present which I did not know about, the Wild West of 1933. Enjoy, everybody.
From the New York studios of the General Broadcasting Company, the American Theater of Radio presents The Wild West of 1933, a dramatic version of a story of similar character which will be published in next Sunday's issue of the American Weekly, the magazine which is distributed with all Hearst Sunday newspapers from coast to coast. The notorious Harlow gang of murderers and robbers has run into bad luck at last. Here's how it all happened. Is this Brick Torres' cabin down the road a bit yours? Yes, ma'am. I want to rent it. Interested in the cabin, ma'am? Certainly. Tourist? Well, maybe. Mighty fine cabin, ma'am. About the best there is on the highway. Double living quarters, two garages, modern plumbing, and fireplaces. Just you alone? I want to take the whole house. It's all right with me. Last folks only took singles. That's the reason I asked. Care for short to you? No, thanks. I looked through the windows before I came up. Just give me the keys. All right, here they are. Now, uh, these two here fits the front doors, and uh, these two here's for the back. All right. How much? Just you alone? I said how much for the two or the double house. Hmm. Staying long or just passing through? I've no way of knowing. How much by the week? Well, uh, I usually get a dollar a night for either end. But seeing as how you want both ends and we'll take her for the week, why, I'll leave it go for $9. Is that all right, ma'am? Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, very well. Here's $10. Keep the change. Well, you'll find towels and so forth in the closets. All right. Oh, uh, and if you want meals, I serve about the best there is along Route 50. Gas, oil, and auto supplies, too. All right, all right. I'll see you later. Well, eh, Clark? Not bad, what I saw of her. Took the brick house, eh? Yeah. Not bad at nine dollars, neither, considering how I only usually get eight. <laughs> That's right. Say, that was the first out-of-state license that passed here today. Did you notice it? Well, I didn't pay much attention to the car. <laughs> Too busy looking at the red-headed gal, eh, Mr. Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> well, even us old fellas got a right to look, ain't we? I'll just bet she's a little spitfire once she gets started. Wouldn't be a bit surprised. Say, look at her drive that car of hers, will you? Yeah, look at right slap dab against the garage door. Didn't say who she was, did she? No, didn't make no mention, no. Just took the keys and drove off. She acts to me like one of the girls that's always been used to having her own way. Wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Thing I can't figure out, though, is why she wants the double house if she's all alone, like she says. Oh, well, maybe she's expecting some folks to join her later. Maybe so, maybe so. I'll take a walk around there after dark and see what I can find out. Meantime, you better get busy cleaning up behind the counter there. Okay, Mr. Hunter, I'll do that right away. Well, there's the keys in case you two boys want to use the doors for going in and out of this dump. Did the old apple knocker ask any questions, kid? No more than you'd expect. I didn't give him much chance to ask many. Just told him I wanted to rent the joint, gave him the dough, took the keys, and beat it. And that baby's stare of yours with the red hair and all must have knocked him for a loop. It worked, kid. It worked. Yeah, so I've noticed. Personally, if you ask me, I think it's a lot of plain foolishness for taking a place right alongside the highway like this. Well, what's the matter, Al? The noise of passing cars got on your tired nerves? <laughs> Makes him homesick. He thinks he's his patrol wagon. Yeah, I guess I ain't the only one in the party, too, that gets the jitters every time a strange car shows up. A lot better off in a place like this than we would be stuck back in the sticks somewhere. 
We tried that, and it didn't work. I'll say it didn't. Uh, I wish we had some of the stuff that we had to leave back there. You said it. Say you did well enough to get out with your skin all together, let alone taking something with you. Well, in case of trouble, this little joint ought to be able to stand up pretty well. Lots of good, solid brick in the walls. Say, will you two lay off for a while? Why, what's the matter, honey? I get tired of hearing you squawking about what might happen. Can't you shut up about it and think of something else? Oh, now, honey, we didn't know I'm the one should be hollering. I've got to go out and put up a front for the gang. All you've got to do is take it easy. Eat three squares a day and enjoy life. Says you. Says me. Oh, now, don't let's get on to that again. You know, there ain't a chance of either Alan or me showing our mugs out in daylight, honey. Well, you're the only one that's got a chance. Okay, then quit talking about it. We're all set here and nobody knows where we are. We'll just lay low for a while and then move on after the excitement dies down. Swell, honey. Now everything's going to be all right, eh, Al? Maybe. But say, how about something to eat? I ain't had a square meal in so long that I wouldn't know how to act. <laughs> yeah? Well, that's where Katie has to do her stuff, I suppose. How do you mean? So to me to go out and Russell eats for you two. Russell? Say, we got plenty of dough, ain't we? Sure, we got plenty of dough, and for once, neither you nor Slim can spend any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Giving you the breaks for once, honey. Yeah, I get it. Well, what do you want to eat? Is this on the level, or are you just kidding? No fooling. What do you want to eat? Well, where are you going to get it, hon? I don't want you running back into town for it. I'm not going back into town. The old bird I rented the shack from has a neat-looking little roadside stand. I'll get something to eat there. Okay, baby. Ah, oh, you're a pretty swell girl at that. Think so, Slim? Sure do. You've been a good egg right along. Say, when do we eat? What do you want, Al? Well, I'll start out with a sirloin steak smothered with onions, french fried spuds, a bowl of clam chowder, corn on the cob, two slices of apple pie with vanilla ice cream, a cup of coffee, and some olives. Okay, big boy. What do you want with your hamburger? Mustard or plain? <coughs> Be anything else, ma'am? Three coffees. With cream and sugar? Two with and one without. Slim does. I don't care for sugar and cream. That's right. I should have known. Well, here you are, ma'am. Thank you. Just be a dollar and ten cents. Here you are. Pretty busy today, aren't you? Well, a bunch of the boys from the sheriff's office stopped by for lunch and... Uh... Sheriff? Oh, is that so? Well, uh, thank you. You're more than welcome, ma'am. See you again soon, I reckon. Hi, Tom. Oh, oh, hello, Ed. What brings you out this way? Oh, nothing much. Just sort of cruising around. Got a kind of secondhand tip off at a bunch of hijackers who's worked in this territory. Yeah? Nothing else? Nothing else? Sure not. Why? What makes you ask that? Oh, just wondering, that's all. Uh, say, did you happen to notice that lady customer I just waited on, Tom? That cute little redhead in riding pants? <laughs> I couldn't help but notice her, Ed. Especially the way you shined up to her. <laughs> Who is she? Well, she's one of the Harlow gang. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's rich, Harry. Now, wait a minute. Don't say nothing, Tom. Well, now, what makes you think she's one of the hollow gang, Ed? Well, clues and suspicions, that's what. Oh. About four days ago, this redhead drove up to the stand here and said she wanted to rent the brick tourist cottage down the road there. Oh, well, nothing suspicious about that. No, no, wait. Give me a chance. Eat your pie there and listen. Hmm. All right. Go ahead, Ed. Well, like I was saying... Four days ago, she rented the cottage. I give her the keys and 
Of course, after she paid in advance. Well, of course, of course. Well, I asked her if she wanted her double or single. She said she would take both ends. Well, like you know, Tom, uh, she's double cottage and gay ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. Well, sir, like I said, I gave her the keys and she drove away. Clark and me stood here and watched her drive right up to the cottage, unlock the front door of the south wing, and go in. <laughs> Well, that's more ladylike than going through the chimney, Ah, oh, quit your kidding, quit your kidding, Tom. Now, like I said, we seen her open the door and go in, just like it was for the very first time. Well, most likely. Now, it weren't. I know. Well, cause, that evening along about sundown, she drives up here to the stand and she orders three suppers. For herself? No. How do you know? Well, because she took two coffees with sugar and cream and one black. Uh... Huh. So then what, Ed? Well, sir, I got to figuring that maybe something was wrong. That there must be more than just her living there at the cottage. Well, maybe some other folks come in the first afternoon after she took the cottage. Well, none didn't come, I tell you. How do you know that? Well, because Clark and me kept our eyes onto the cottage and on the highway all afternoon. And nobody turned off to the cottage? Nary one. Anything else, Ed? Well, sir, that night, long about 8 o'clock, I takes a walk down there through the field to the back of the cottage. Yeah. And all their shades was pulled down. Well, nothing funny about that. Maybe she was going to bed or <clears throat> something. Well, she weren't, though. I heard tromping feet inside there. Yeah? Well, then what? Uh... Well, next morning, she comes to the stand and she gets three breakfasts. And uh, get this. She gets two packs of cigarettes, both different. Well, I, I still don't see nothing wrong in that. Maybe she's got a sick husband or something. Wants to be quiet, maybe. Well, it ain't nothing of the kind. That's that Harlow gang of hiding out. What makes you think so, Ed? Well, good land of living. Ain't them suspicions and clues enough? Anyhow, I know that's them down there. Now, you want we should go down and take a look? Well, seeing as how you're the sheriff of this county, I'd say you should. All right, Ed. Guess the boys is all through eating. We'll take them ghost hunting to kind of shake down their lunches. You'll find them the lightest bunch of ghosts you ever seen. Uh, say, boys... Get out of the car, all of you. Ed Hunter's here has got a surprise for you. What is it? Well, you get out in the car and you'll see. Where to, Chief? Down the road here to Ed Hunter's tourist cottage. Better get your guns ready in case Ed's ghost walks out on you. <laughs> hey, what's this? What's what? Here come your friends, the coppers from the lunch counter, kid. Oh, my God, has it come? Now, keep your head, kid. Nothing's happened yet. Uh, I thought this was too good to last. Maybe they're going to go right on up the road and pass us by. Ah, uh, not a chance. Well, I guess we're sunk. Gee, everything going along swell, and now this comes up. What are you going to do, Slim? Give up? Not a chance, kid. Not a chance. Get the gats ready. Right. right. Get right, ready sir. to give it to them. Oh, my God. You're not going to fight it out? Just that. Oh, but Slim, you can't. Now, don't go soft, kid. Keep up the chin. Grab yourself a rod and stand back. Okay. What's the plan, Slim? Well, we'll find out what they want. Try to stall them off. Yeah. And if that don't work, we'll make a break for it in the car. Open up. Open up in there. Let them have it, boys. Oh, they're pouring it into a slip. Let them have it back, Al. Come on. Get into the car. Oh, it's no good, Slim. They've got us. Come on. Stick them up. Oh, 
That's what. Well, what clue did you have outside of the fact that these people here didn't seem to be acting like law-abiding citizens? Well, I just knew they was that hollow gang, that's how. Well, how did you know? Well, Tom Simons, I'm kind of surprised at you. Being high sheriff and all, don't you remember when this gang was run out of their last hiding place? Yeah. Yeah? Remember how they had to leave so darn quick they couldn't take nothing with them but their guns? Uh-huh. Well... And remember that, among other things, the police found in the house was a roll of undeveloped Kodak film? Oh, yeah, I remember. Well, sir, they had them printed, and the pictures that come out was of this here Slim Harlow, his brother, his girlfriend, and Kate Harlow out there. Yeah, I know. I remember all that, eh? Well, maybe so, but the thing you forgot was that last June, the American Weekly Magazine runs all them pictures in the Sunday newspaper. Well, I'll... And you remember the faces, Ed, huh? No, sir, I didn't. But when that red-haired gal came in for her coffee the first time, like I told you, she always carried it back here to the cabin, so I had to put it into a container for her. And when I reached down for it under the counter, I seen right where that container was a setting while I seen her picture. Her picture, huh? Where? Well, right slap dab in the middle of the page from the American Weekly that I used there for the paper from the shelves. That's where. Well, daggone, that sure is a coincidence, Ed. It ain't nothing of the sort. It's working on clues and suspicions. Read the thrilling story upon which this radio play was based in next Sunday's issue of the American Weekly, the magazine which is distributed with all Hearst Sunday newspapers from coast to coast. Our next show for you is the CBS Mystery Theater and their presentation of The Many Names of Death. Enjoy, everybody. And now, Mystery Theater. says, let us fill the cup. What are you having? How about equal parts suspense and mystery with just a dash of terror and chill to taste? So, 
They say that a lie is only the truth in masquerade. But does the opposite also hold? Can we say that the truth is a lie in masquerade? What is masquerade? Well, for that matter, what is reality? Who are we? Who do we really see when we look in the mirror? The image that gazes steadily back at us, that anticipates our every move, our every breath. Who is it? Or what is it? Darling. Hello, dear. Dinner ready? No. Oh, you plan for us to dine out? No, Gerald. Well, why isn't dinner ready, then? I haven't had a chance to prepare it. I was busy. Doing what, Cecily? Oh, learning how to load. What, what are you doing with that pistol? Learning how to aim. Cecily, don't point that at me. And learning how to fire. Uh, uh, why, Cecily? What? Uh... Our mystery drama, The Many Names of Death was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Alexander Scorby. You know how it is with some people. They go along for years in a groove, a routine, or a rut. Characterize it any way you like. 10, 20 years, the same job, the same apartment, same wife. It might just occur to a man to ask himself, is this all I have to look forward to? There are those men who ask this question and keep asking it. But these are the men who rarely do anything about it. It's the men who don't ask, who seemingly plod along contentedly and quietly. Oh, yes. Look out. Look out for Gerald Furlong, who fills all the specifications we have just stated. Mr. Furlong. Yes? Good morning. My name is Helene LaRue. Yes? I'm your new secretary. Oh. Mr. Spruance, you know him, the personnel manager? Yes. Well, when I heard that old lady McKay... Uh, oh, I beg your pardon. Miss McKay was leaving. I asked for the job. And he said I could have it unless you had someone else in mind. Well, I... Uh... Actually, I'm the best typist in the pool. Are you? Oh, yes. You can check it. Everybody always asks for me. Yes, but I don't... Of uh... course you don't know. How could you? Unless we try it. What have you got to lose? Well... Then it's settled. Now, all you have to do is sign this memo. What memo? The memo to Mr. Spruance, which says you authorize my appointment as your secretary. Yes, but I... Uh... Well, now, I don't want you to think I'm pushing you or taking too much on myself. But a good secretary handles all the details, ties up all the loose ends, keeps the desk clear. And as soon as you sign that, I can call Mr. Spruance's secretary. All right. Ah, that's it. Yes, sir. Oh, Mr. Furlong, you do have a bold, strong handwriting. Unusual, sir, but that's to be expected. Expected? Oh, yes. You see, your name is Gerald. Yes. And do you know what the name Gerald means? No. Well, it's an old German name. It means strong leader of an army. Hello? Hello, this is Elaine LaRue. 
tell Mr. Spruance that Mr. Furlong wants me to be his secretary. The memo's on its way. Thank you. Well, strong leader of an army. Uh, don't you feel like one? I'm afraid I don't live up to my name. Oh, you just think you don't. My dear young lady, I know I don't. Don't call me that. Your dear young lady. Why, does it offend you? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. When you call me your dear young lady, you're putting yourself down. I'm afraid I don't understand. You make yourself sound like an old man. Uh, and you're not. You see, I worked in personnel. I had to check everyone's records. Now, Miss LaRue, those records are highly confidential, and they're... Uh, you're only 45. It's true that you look 55. Now, now Miss LaRue, one thing I frown upon in this office is the discussion of personal matters. Of course, of course. If you went about things differently, uh, <clears throat> you would look 35. Miss LaRue, I have some letters to dictate. Yes, sir. This is to, uh, to Mr. Oliver Stevens at Carpenter and Stevens. Uh, you'll find the address in the files. Dear sir, pursuant to, uh... Yes, sir. Uh, read that back, huh? All you said was, uh, dear sir... Pursuant to... Oh, yes, yes. Uh, pursuant to our agreement, I must inquire of you, uh... uh Miss LaRue. Yes? You know, you've gotten off here on the wrong foot. But, Mr. Furlong... I dislike flattery. I intensely dislike it. I despise it. But I... uh, Please do not interrupt me. I am not a fool. Oh, I never said you were. Your flattery is doubly obnoxious because it's... It, it's so, so... So what, Mr. Furlong? Because it's so extravagant, so obvious. Oh, but I wasn't... Look, I, I might tolerate flattery that's that's clever. But you, my dear young lady, are ludicrous. There you go again. Calling me your dear young lady. I'll call you anything I like. I'm your employer. Well, why am I ludicrous? Now, how can you tell me that I could look like a man of 35? Because it's true. Do you know what 35 is? I know what it looks like. Thirty-five. That, that, that's another world, another another generation. I know. Tell me that I could look thirty-five again is... is well, it's an insult to my intelligence. I could make you look thirty-five. What did you say? Well, you'd have to dress differently, wear colors, let your hair grow but, long. Miss LaRue, this conversation has become far too well, personal. We can end it any time you say. Uh, now, pursuant to our agreement, I must inquire of you if you feel obligated to provide financing for... Yes, Mr. Furlong. At the risk of sounding foolish, why did you say I could look 35? I learned something about you, Mr. Furlong. How could you learn anything about me in so short a time? Well, I learned that you're a man who fights against his name. I haven't the faintest idea of what that means. Your name, Gerald, strong leader of men. Oh. Oh, why do you fight it? Why do you deny it? It's what you were meant to be. Really? It's true. Who says so? I do. And how would you know? Because I believe in nominality. <laughs> oh, it's the science of names. I believe that our names tell us what we are. I think that's ridiculous. Do you? 
Well, I think birth itself is a mysterious happening. And that parents unconsciously have an insight into what their child could be, and they name him accordingly. They might not even be aware of it. Gerald. Well, I'm certainly not a strong leader of men. But you could be. You have it in you. It's ridiculous. Oh, you said that before. I'll say it again. Why is it any more ridiculous than any other belief? Why is it any more ridiculous than, say, astrology? Tell me, uh, what does Helene mean? Light. Hmm? A torch from the Greek. Light? Yes, light. Have I brought you any? How's the fish, dear? Oh, a bit bland. Bland? Huh? That's odd. It's been prepared exactly as usual, and you never complained before. Well, it just happens to lack taste. But you have to watch your intake of salt. Why? Why? Well, it's just the prudent thing, isn't it? That's what you always say. Yes, I suppose so. Did they replace Miss McKay? Yes. I hope they gave you a mature woman. You can't stand those flighty young girls. What's your new one like? Well, I really haven't noticed yet. Oh? How is that possible? Oh, look, Cecily, my dear, I have too much to do. I simply can't bother to note those things that have nothing to do with business. You are overworked, dear. That's true. I'm aware that I have a secretary, that I dictate letters to her, that she has a name, in this case. Uh, what she looks like? Well, I, I simply couldn't remember. Poor dear. Cecily, tell me something. How old do I look to you? Why? Oh, just curious. I hadn't thought about it. Well, you don't have to think about it. Just tell me. Well, darling, you look your age. Do I? If anything, a bit older. Really? And that's been responsible for your success. A man who heads up a trust department who's responsible for other people's money can only inspire confidence if he looks mature and... And, uh, settled, huh? Oh, yes, dear, and you certainly do. Is it possible that... Is it possible that anyone could ever take me for, say... Thirty-five? <laughs> Thirty-five? Oh, darling, I... I don't see how... Why do you ask? Oh, no reason. Are you sure? No, no, please, forget it. I simply can't imagine why you'd even ask such a strange question. Especially... Especially what? Especially since you're not in the habit of asking idle questions. Coffee? No, no, darling. If you'll excuse me, I'll go to the library. I have some work. Oh, Gerald, this... This goes against everything you ever... Why, you made it almost a religion not to bring work home from the office. Yes, dear, I know, but every religion encounters a bit of heresy now and then. Don't stay up too late. No, dear, I just have a few things to check out. Hello? Miss uh, LaRue? Good evening. I was waiting for your call. But what do you mean you were waiting for my call? Well, then I was right. You did call, didn't you? 
Well, yes. However, my secretary has to expect to work all hours, and if you object, then perhaps you'd better resign. Oh, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. You have such a fascinating voice. Now, see here, Miss LaRue, this is a business call. Of course it is. Look, I had so many things to do today that I, I can't recall if I sent a letter to Mr. Oliver Stevens. Ah, uh, Mr. Oliver Stevens of Comfter and Stevens. That's right. Because if I forget to write one... Well, you did, uh, Mr. Furlong. You dictated it, and I typed it and mailed it. Good. That is a relief. Otherwise, I'd have to call him this evening and explain that he shouldn't expect to... No, the letter went out. Well, that's... Well, that's what I, I wanted to know. Is there anything else? No, I, I can't think of anything. Oh, then, good night, sir. Good night. Uh, oh, uh, just another minute. C- could you tell me what... what what the name Cecily means? Cecily? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, sir. That's um, a Latin name. It means one who is in the dark or blind. <laughs> Did I wake you? I'm sorry. Oh, working at night's the worst thing in the world for your nervous system. Esther, I'll just brush my teeth and get right to bed. thought in your head and every emotion in your heart but you know he isn't you who is he 
We shall acquire some new insights when I return shortly with Act Two. If... There's a face that looks back at our own each time we gaze into a mirror. But is it always the same face? The quick answer, the automatic answer is yes, certainly, of course. This teaches that we should never answer anything without pausing for thought. We might get the same surprise that happened to Gerald Furlong. It was the same face, but it wasn't his. Good morning, Mr. Furlong. Good morning, Mr. LaRue. Come into my office, please. Yes, sir. Now, Miss LaRue, I have something to tell you. Oh, I know. You want to fire me. Well, I've been thinking. A, a man and his secretary, they, they spend considerable time together, and therefore they should have similar temperaments. Mm, and you're too busy thinking to have fun. Obviously, we don't have a similar temperament, Miss LaRue. Very well. I'll go back to the pool, and you can get yourself another dried-up old maid to match the one you've got at home. Now, see here. Yes, what is it you want me to see? How, how did you know... How did you know I was going to fire you? Well, you keep fighting your name. You're not a Gerald. Look, what are you fighting? You know, you never had a good time in your life. Why should you care? Because I'm in love with you. That's impossible. We don't know each other. We, we, we have nothing in common. Oh, that's all nonsense. You fall in love because you hear a certain tone in somebody's voice. You see a certain light in someone's eye. But how can such a love be lasting? Oh, who says love has to last? You know, love comes and goes. Love is. And then one day, it just isn't. And it's gone. And nobody knows why, and it doesn't matter, because sooner or later it will come again with someone else. You're a strange girl. Oh, we're all strange. We, look, look, we, we can't talk here. I, I'll take you, take you out to lunch. No, 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 no lunch. Why not? Because you must lose weight. I'll take you shopping. <laughs> I like that jacket and with the aqua shirt. Oh, but I only wear white shirts. Oh, that's all in the past, darling. Now look at yourself in no, the mirror. No, no. No? Absolutely not. But how can you tell if... I just don't want to. I insist now. Come on. Look in the mirror. Have you ever seen anything so... Well, it's... Uh... It's a work of art. No. Gerald, this face, this face, you see, it, it isn't my face anymore. Gerald, don't. Don't kill me. I'm not killing you. What are you saying, darling? Darling. Already? Look, darling, I... You can't do away with me, Gerald. We've been together too long. We built up our whole world together. You just can't get rid of me and get another image. Well, what do you think, darling? Fire her, you fool. Get rid of her. Walk out of here before it's too late. Save yourself. I think... What's there to think about? He'll take it. And now, for some sportswear. 
Good morning, darling. Morning. Bacon is ready. Will you have two eggs? We have cereal. We... Uh, just a cup of coffee. But you must have breakfast. No, no, I'm fine. Just coffee. Darling, where did you get that suit? Oh, uh, I did some shopping last week. You like it? Well, it, it looks a bit... Uh, yes? Young for you. Young? And that shirt and the tie. Those colors are quite violent. Violent? It's hardly the image for a trust officer. And besides, dear, middle-aged men who strive for a juvenile look only succeed in making themselves appear ludicrous. Which is how I appear to you. No, no, I didn't mean that. I only... Oh, look, look, we shouldn't quarrel, especially today. I, I have to go to Chicago. Oh? Uh, just for a few days. We have to investigate a financial... But you, you'll never travel, dear. Well, I can't refuse this client. No, I suppose not. I'll cut the trip as short as I possibly can. Yes, dear. Like it. I must say, it's convenient to the office. Well, the rent was higher than you said you could go, but... It's all right. Come here. Mm. Oh. I must say, you learn fast. <laughs> I didn't have to learn. I always knew it. It was just out of practice, that's all. Let me show you what I bought me this afternoon. Look, I hope your account isn't overdrawn oh, again. it was a steal. My first... Minky. Oh. Was it necessary? No, that's not my Gerald, the king of the army. It's the old trust officer speaking. Oh, I just asked. Don't you want me to keep warm? Of course. That's better. What would you like to do tonight? Oh, what are we supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be taking a client to a long and involved business dinner. Oh, well then let's go to the high hat club. I think I heard of that place. What'd you hear? I don't think it's the kind of establishment I should be seen at. And what are we waiting for? My turn again. I'll bet. Marty! Hi. Hi. Gerald, this is Marty Trainer. He owns the place. Gerald Furlong. How do you do? Oh, Furlong, huh? That's a good name for a horse player. Oh, he doesn't have to play with the horses, Marty. He's too skillful with the time. I'm afraid it's beginner's luck. <laughs> when you're hot, you're hot. You're on a streak riding. I will. Bet it all. Hey! You won, darling! You won! Let, you won! Let it ride. Darling, it's getting late. Yes, I know. You should be getting home. Oh, I wish I didn't have to go. So do I. You know the right thing to do? Mm. I should divorce Cecily and we ought to get married. Why should we get married? Because we're in love. <laughs> oh, weren't you in love with Cecily once? Well... Yes. Ah, and that's why you married her, but it didn't help. It didn't keep your love alive. You and I will we'll be different. No, we won't. We may love each other till the day we die, and we may fall out of love tomorrow morning. But I want us to keep our love. Oh, love can't be a guaranteed investment. Isn't the here and now?
better take a pill or see a doctor. Why? I'm the one who's sick. You're killing me. No, no. Don't turn your face away. Look in the mirror. Look at me. I'm looking. Don't you see how I've changed? You... I... I look, we've never looked so good. Soon, you'll have a new image. And what becomes of me? I'll be dead. Frankly, I couldn't care less. But I'm the only image you're comfortable with. I'm the only image you can live with. I used to think so. I'm learning different. You're a fool. Get rid of her. Oh, no. She'll get tired of you sooner or later. And then what would you have? Elaine's what I've always wanted. I never had the nerve to let myself believe it. You can't afford her. Who says so? The apartment, the clothes, the gifts, the jewels. And now the gambling. Who knows more about gambling than I do? Haven't I gambled with investments all my life? Ah. It's not the same thing. Except this time I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying life. It can turn all at once. It can sweep you away swiftly, suddenly, like a tidal wave. Gerald, get rid of her. You'll never know what hit you. No. She'll kill both of us. I don't care. I don't care. Gerald. What, uh, What do you want? I thought I heard you talking to someone. You what? I heard you talking to someone. Oh, come on. That That's ridiculous. I thought so, too, at first. But lately it seems... Well, you seem to be having angry conversations. Indeed. About what? I don't know, but I'm sure I hear voices. You sure you're all right, dear? Is something wrong? No. That no sounds like yes. Oh, I suppose I'm a little bit lonesome these days. I see so little of you. Look, darling, things are becoming impossible at the office. You know, the way the market is behaving. I know, I know. There are terrible pressures on you. Why don't you quit? Quit? Yes, dear, quit. Find something else. It isn't easy to get a new job at 45. But you don't look 45. You look at least 10 years younger. Well, how would we make out while I was looking around? Well, you've been very judicious with our money. We should have quite a bit put by. Cecily... We don't have. In the present market, our holdings have... Well, they haven't done well. They've lost. They've lost considerable value. Oh. It's my fault. I, I'm sorry. Well, there's my inheritance. Oh, no, no, no. no we couldn't... It's $50,000. No, 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 no. We, we must never touch it that. It could help ease us along. Cecily. Oh, Cecily. You, you're too good to me. Don't say that. I love you. Let's start life all over. Is it something to think about? Yes, it, it is something to think about. Where are we going? The usual place. Ah. What does that mean? Oh, you just said the usual place, which means our lives are becoming predictable. Well, don't you enjoy it there? Tonight, I'd like to go dancing. Play of dancing? Marty hires the best band in town. How would you know? You never danced to it. If you want to dance tonight, that's what we'll do. Let's go somewhere else. Why? Because if we go to Marty's, you'll get involved in a card game. No, I won't. I, I promise you. Oh, you make that promise every night, and you break that promise every night. Well, tonight will be different. You'll see. Gerald. I want to go home. Darling, we, we, we can't go just yet. I see no 
reason why we can't do anything we please any time we want to do it. I've lost too much money. So what? It's only money. I can't quit now. Oh, this place is becoming a bore. I can't afford to. And you're becoming a bore, too. Don't say that. Uh, but I love you. Do you understand? Well, I love you, too. Just another half hour. Uh, Mr. Furlong. Yes, Marty. Do we No, Gerald, no. Don't play with him, please. You can't beat him. What are you talking about? The cards are going to come my way. I can feel it. You can't beat him. His name is Martin. What? After Mars, the god of war. He's a child of Mars. Gerald, let's leave now. Sure, sure. Look, all I need is just one good pot. Gerald, don't play with him. Uh, you go get your coat and meet me here. Oh. Well, Mr. Furlong... Just you and I left, huh? So, no fight for the pot. I believe you were the opener. 500. Oh, a very good bet. I think I'll raise. Make it a thousand. And a thousand better. A man with confidence. However, another thousand. A thousand to you again, Marty. Well, I must respect that. I call. You should. I have a full house. An excellent hand. Good enough to win most of the time, but not good enough this time. What are you... I have four little deuces. Oh. So, let's see. In the pot where your overall bets are $5,500 and added to your previous indebtedness, we have uh, <clears throat> a total of 35000 What? That's impossible. I have your markers here, Mr. Furlong. Care to check the arithmetic? Well, no, I... Look, I, I don't carry $35,000 around with me in cash. Who does? We can wait. Till tomorrow. Gerald? Are we ready to go? Gerald? Yes. Yes, Elaine. We're ready to go. He says he's ready to go. But the question is, Where? Where do you go when you've just lost $35,000 that you don't have? Where do you go? And what do you do? Well, this could be as good a time as any for Gerald to find out if he can live up to his name. Strong leader of men. We'll know everything when I return shortly with Act Three. not the first time, it won't be the last time, a man will seek to change his image. But is an image like a shoe, a coat, a tie, something a man may take off and cast aside? Can an image refuse to be changed? Can it fight back? It's very late at night, after a disastrous evening, and Gerald Furlong is once again confronting an image in the mirror. The image he seeks to change. And until recently, it was such a quiet, unobtrusive, submissive image. Now will you leave Helene? No. She's ruined you. I can't blame her. Tell Cecily. Confess. Why? Where else could you get the money? The money? The $35,000 you gambled away. I'll... You what? You counted on Cecily's money. You knew it was there. That's why you gambled. That's a lie. Ah, you're talking to me. I can raise it. Where? How? She. She loves me. She'll let me have it. That's what I've been telling you. Confess to Cecily. 
not Cecily. Helene. Helene, I, I'm I'm in over my head. Please help me. Of course. I knew you would. That's what love is. Now, your necklace, your bracelet, and the furs. Now, uh, you want me to sell them? We can raise quite a bit of money. Maybe not all of it, but enough to, to give me breathing room. I see. I'll, I'll make it up to you later. Darling, I won't do it. But you... We're... We're in love. Yes? You said you'd help me. Help you in the right way. The way you should be helped. What do you mean? The way a man named Gerald should be helped. I don't understand. Gerald, strong leader of the army. Are you going to bow down before the demands of a cheap gambler? I, I lost the money. Well, how do you know you lost it, honestly? How do you know the cards weren't fixed? I don't. Well, stand up to him. Refuse to pay him. What? But, but he'll... He'll what? Gambling's against the law here. His club is illegal. He has no claims on you. He can't go to court about it. Yes, but still... Still? Are you going to hold still? Be Gerald. This is how I love you. This is how I help you. Yes. Yes, he has no legal claim. You're, you're right. You're right, Mr. Furlong. Absolutely right. I have no legal recourse. Then I shall say good day to you, sir. But I have other alternatives. Yes, I can imagine. Huh. Can you? I can imagine that you'll try to frighten me with your uh, underworld connections. <laughs> underworld connections? You've seen too many movies. You think you can scare me with strong-arm tactics? I'm not afraid of you. Why should you be? Or anyone else. I've been in a war. I know how to use a weapon. I have one in my house. I can defend myself, and I will. Now, you are a trust officer for an important brokerage house, Oh, huh? I see. Blackmail. <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'll deny I was ever in here. <laughs> you can't. You see, we have proof. <laughs> what do you mean by proof? Well, now, when I press this button, that white screen comes down from the ceiling. And another button. We have a projector. And now we have a motion picture, and look who the hero is. Oh, why, it's you. I, I don't believe it. Ah, Mr. Furlong, isn't it true? One picture is worth a thousand words. How well you, you photograph. I mean, there you are, betting, raking in the money. Oh, you are a gambler, sir. That's obvious. How you relish what you're doing, huh? Well... Have you seen enough? What will you do with it? Show it to my... my, my management people? Oh, yes. Well, it won't do you any good. They'll fire me. That won't get you your money. Oh, yes, it will. What do you mean? They're not responsible now, for Now, listen, I... we exhibit this little documentary. We tell your management, unless they make good on your debt, we will show the picture to their clients. We will say to them, here. Here is how a man who handles your money amuses himself in his spare time. Is he doing this? With your money? I think your management will pay us off, don't you? You violence? Who needs violence when this kind of persuasion is so much more, uh, persuasive? I need time. Of course. Take a few days, take a week, even more. And think about it. I'm sure something will occur to you. Uh -huh. 
happened? She's gone. She's disappeared and she took everything. What's this paper? Darling, love comes, love goes. And for us, it's over. Think about me as I shall think about you. And remember always, remember your name is Gerald, strong leader of a host. She's gone. She's gone. Of course she's gone. What did you expect? Where are you? Where do you think I am? Look in the mirror. A mirror? What? A small mirror with a pearl encrusted border. She was going to take it along with everything else, but she forgot. Well, what are you going to do now? No. Now I'm, I'm going to... It's not too late. Get down on your knees to Cecily. Pray to her to forgive you. Never. No, not to her. Not to Cecily. You can't afford to have pride. I'll get the money somehow. Oh, no. Not that way. I know what you're thinking. Look, it's the only way. I won't let you. I won't let you kill her. I'll stop you. It'll be a burglar. No. Yes, a burglar. And and he killed her. No. No, Gerald. That's how it happened. I've got the gun at home. Don't do it, Gerald. She'll be angry, but in the end, she'll forgive you. Oh, have an alibi. They'll never be able to prove it. Gerald, don't. Don't kill her for her money. I have to. I won't let you. You can't stop me. I can warn Cecily. How could you? You, you, you can't. I'll stop you. I'll kill you first. Cecily? Cecily, where are you? Here. I'm here, darling, in the living room. Oh. How are you? As well as can be expected. What does that mean? Considering that my husband has... A. Deceived me with another woman. B. Squandered every dollar he has in the world. And C. Plans to murder me for my inheritance... I don't feel too badly. What on earth are you... Is it true? Look, uh, where, where could you possibly get such a crazy you, idea? You told me. I told you? Yes. Strangest thing happened. I was sitting at the mirror combing my hair. And I looked in the mirror and it wasn't my face at all, but yours. That's... That's impossible. And you started to talk to me. And you told me everything, including the fact that you want to kill me. No, it, it isn't true. Look, how, could you, how could you see my face in the mirror? But I did. And you spoke to me. It could have been a dream. Perhaps. But does it matter? Darling, I... I love you. Why, why would I... I suppose I've been blind, but no more. I wish I could convince you. What are you looking for in that drawer? For, I'm not looking for anything. That's not true. You were looking for this. What? Cecily, don't. You... You couldn't shoot me? No, I couldn't. I'm not like you. Then, wh why are you pointing that pistol at me? Get out. Get out? This is no longer your home. I'm no longer your wife. And I'm holding this gun because as long as I hold it, you won't be able to kill me. Cecily, you're mad. It's all in your imagination. Stay just where you are. Well, we've been married 22 years. We, we, we love each other. Not another step, I warn you. Cecily, you wouldn't shoot me. You couldn't. Stop. Give me that gun. No. 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 Drop it. No, no you off. want to kill me. Help. Shut up. Help me, somebody. He wants to kill me. I'll, I'll help you. Keep out of this. You keep out of it. Help me. Get back. Back in the mirror where no. you belong. No, I don't. I don't belong no. there anymore. You have another image. Get away. Let her go. Let her go. 
saved you, Cecily. He saved you. Gerald. He's a better man than I am. Who? Look in the mirror. Let me get a doctor. Look in the mirror, in the mirror. Do you see him? Him? I don't see him. Then he's gone too. He's gone. Gerald. Oh, Gerald. They're both gone. Gerald and the image. I know we have the realists in the house and the psychologists who will tell us that they can reduce it all to a matter of the inner self. Split personality. Guilty conscience. Well, to each his own. It could have been an image acting independently. Proof, absolute proof is missing for both sides. I'll return in a few minutes. French philosopher once said, we leave a part of ourselves behind us each day. That's true. But where do we leave it? Sometimes a very close and introspective look in the mirror might help us arrive at the answer. Answers. So much in demand and so short in supply. However, we do have the full answer for your mystery, suspense, and excitement needs right here. Our cast included Alexander Scourby, Laurie March, William Redfield, and Marion Haley. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Now we have an extra long episode. This one is about an hour long, just over an hour long. It's a Lux Radio Theater presentation of Cheating Cheaters. Enjoy, everyone. Hollywood, California, Monday, August 31st. Radio Theater presents George Raft in Cheating Cheaters with June Lang. <laughs> Lux presents Hollywood. The makers of Lux Toilet Soap, official soap in all the leading motion picture studios, again brings you an hour with Hollywood's outstanding celebrities. Tonight, you will meet George Raft, June Lang, Cecil B. DeMille, Gloria Swanson, Donald A. Loomis, Louis Silvers, and many others. It is also our privilege to have in our visible audience such guests as Henry Wadsworth, Dean Janis, Lois January, Maxine Jennings, Sari Maritza, and Virginia Pine. And to all our listeners, 
Greetings from Lux. There's an excellent reason why Lux toilet soap is used by nine out of ten screen stars and by lovely women everywhere. This pure white soap with its delicate fragrance and active lather removes cosmetics thoroughly, protects daintiness, and brings you the charm of a clear, smooth skin. It's Hollywood's beauty care, yet it's so inexpensive that everyone can enjoy Lux toilet soap every day. And now our producer. At present engaged in making his 63rd picture, he has started more actors and discovered more stars than any man in motion pictures. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. In 1916, the famous Al Woods was a hit-and-run manager with a hit on Broadway that ran for many months. Also enjoying his run in those days was a delivery boy by the name of George Raft. Many times young Raft passed the theater where Mr. Woods' company was performing, but the play Cheating Cheaters meant no more to him than he did to the swirling crowds on the busy streets about him. But tonight... Twenty years later, George Raft stars in Cheating Cheaters in the Lux Radio Theater. Born and raised in Hell's Kitchen, the handsome young delivery boy enjoyed his rounds until he entered the ring. Then they brought him nothing but punishment. After his 25th professional bout, he woke up in Bellevue Hospital. George was a leading man even then, and he'd been caught leading with his chin, and his dream of becoming lightweight champion was over. He next tried baseball as a minor league player, but his hits were all ahead of him because as a batter he couldn't get to first base. But after being fired, he struck out once again, this time for a new profession, dancing. And the feet that couldn't cover the bases or hold him upright in the ring brought him immediate fame on the stage. He starred in musical comedies, introduced a dance called the Charleston, taught King Edward VIII, then Prince of Wales, how to do it and was the highest-paid American dancer to tour the continent. Coming to Hollywood for a vacation, George was seen in the Brown Derby restaurant by a director who thought he'd make an ideal screen gangster. A few weeks later, the delivery boy from Hell's Kitchen was delivering lines in a studio. June Lang, our leading lady, has the distinction of being twice discovered by the movies. A dancer since the age of five, June was given her first part when only 14. Last year, her contract expired and she was dropped. But Daryl Zanuck rediscovered her in an old test, called her back, and gave her leading parts in four recent films, Captain January, The Country Doctor, Every Saturday Night, and The Road to Glory, in which she plays the only feminine role and is starred with Warner Baxter, Frederick March, and Lionel Barrymore. Tonight, we hear her in the part of Ruth Brockton. And now, the curtain rises on the Lux Radio Theater... Presenting Cheating Cheaters, starring George Rath with June Lang. We're on the boat deck of the liner Argyle, four days out of Liverpool. It's late evening. 
And in the shadow of a lifeboat, Tom Palmer, played by George Raft, and Ruth Brockton are sitting close to each other in deck chairs. As they gaze out over the moonlit waters, Ruth breaks the long silence. Moonlight on the crest of a wave. It's beautiful, isn't it? Getting poetical. A little. That's a good sign. How do you mean? Well, uh, now maybe you'll pay a little attention when I tell you how I feel about you. I've been paying attention. You haven't done very much about it. I meant every word I said. Perhaps you did with the ocean and the moonlight. But wait till we dock in New York. You'll forget me soon enough. Just like that, eh? Uh-huh. Well, you're wrong. You can't get rid of me as easily as that. I'll make you listen to me if I have to follow you clear across the country. And the villain still pursued her. Right. <laughs> oh, Tom, you're mad. Do you realize we've only known each other four days? That's long enough for me. I make up my mind pretty fast. If the steward hadn't accidentally put us at the same table, you wouldn't have had a chance to make up your mind at all. That's right. Remind me to leave an extra large tip for the steward. He's a great guy. Oh, I wouldn't give him all the credit. Who else is there to thank? Well, if my father hadn't gone to Antwerp to add a few jewels to his collection, I wouldn't be on this boat. Hmm, three cheers for your father. And if my mother hadn't decided she needed a sea voyage, I wouldn't be here either. Yes, that's so. Well? Well, what? Go on. Say it. Oh, all right. I'm glad your mother decided she needed a sea voyage. Well, now we're getting someplace. Yes, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Well, there they are, Mrs. Palmer. I told you we'd find them spooling on the boat deck. Hello, Dad. Hello, Mrs. Palmer. My dear, we've been looking all over the boat for you. What's the matter, Mother? Mr. Brockton was afraid Ruth would catch cold up here, Tom. It's getting terribly chilly. Oh, I'm all right, Mrs. Palmer. Better get a steamer blanket if you're going to stay. There's a fog coming up. Say, looks like you're right. There goes your moon, Ruth. Oh, by the way, Ruth... I've quite a surprise for you. Yes? Mrs. Palmer just told me that she and Tom are taking a house in the country. And where do you suppose it is? Where? In Westchester. And if I'm not mistaken from Mrs. Palmer's description, I believe they're going to take the old uh, Bosto mansion. Why, that's only about five miles from our place. Isn't it a coincidence? Well, there you are. Guess I won't have to make that cross-country trip after all. Mm. What's that? <laughs> Nothing much, Mr. Brockton. Tom... This fog is getting thicker every minute. I think I'd better go down. All right, Mother. I'll take you to your cabin. Good night, Ruth. Night. See you at breakfast. Good night, Mrs. Palmer. Good night. This way, Mother. Well, Tom. Where till we get away from here? To get the dope. Shut up, I tell you. You want to crab everything? Say, don't talk that way to me. I'm getting sick and tired of acting the part of your old lady without taking any guff. Listen, Rosie, you're supposed to be my mother, and you'll go on being my mother until I say so. I'll take it or leave it. All right, all right. All I want to know is, did you find anything about the Brockton jewel? Yes, Brockton keeps them in a safe at his place in Westchester. Oh, yeah? Well, they've fallen swell for the mother and son stuff. We can move right up there next to them and they'll never be the wiser. Pretty slick work, Tom. Yeah, maybe it's too slick. What are you talking about? Say, you ain't falling for the dame, are you? I don't know. I feel like a heel, that's all. Telling her I'm nuts about her, then turning around and copping her old man's jewels. Oh, so I was right, huh? You have fallen for her. Forget it, will you? Sure. Maybe you better forget it, too. I'm going to my cabin. This fog is as thick as pea soup. See you in the morning. What the devil? Tom, what's wrong? I don't know. Sounds like they're reversing the engines. Ruth, I've got to find 
Jones, where are you? We've hit an iceberg. Ruth, Ruth, where are you? Are you all right? Yes. Where's your mother, Tom? We're sinking fast. Look, those sailors are launching the boat. They're going down by themselves. Stand back there, you men. Stand back. Listen, you men, I've got a gun here and I'm not afraid to use it. Now stand back or I'll blow you to bits. Now free that boat. Go on. If any man gets in there before a woman or child, I'll shoot to kill. Ruth, get in that boat. All right, Mother. Go on. Hurry, Ruth. But, Tom, what about you? Never mind me. Get in there. All right, men. Work fast. Clear that boat and lower away. Stand by those davits. Watch that line. Come on. Come on, you men. Hurry up. Did you read this, Tom? What? The fact that no lives were lost in the Argyle disaster was due chiefly to the heroic work of an unidentified man who induced order at the point of a pistol. That's you. Unidentified? Yeah. All I need is to have my picture spread all over the newspapers. Might start a little excitement anyway. I'm getting sick of hanging around up here in the wilds of Westchester with nothing to do. It was your idea to take this house, wasn't it? Sure, but I expect there's a little action before this. We've been living up here two whole weeks, and what's happened? Not a thing. We ain't even seen the Brocktons. Take it easy, Rosie. I know what I'm doing. Yeah? Well, you're the only one who does. What would you like me to do? Walk over and ask for their jewels? You could at least go and see the Brocktons. Pay them a little social call. You know, like you dropped in by accident. In society, Rosie, you don't make social calls unless you're invited. Oh, yeah? Since when are you an expert on etiquette? I know enough for that. You must have been reading again. Listen, Tom, my idea is this. Go on over and make yourself sociable. The dame likes you. You know that. You can get a line on the joint and spot the safe. Then Mike goes over at night, of course, and cracks it open. That's your idea. Well, why not? Better than sitting around twiddling our thumbs. We laid out plenty of shekels for this setup, and so far, all I've done is act polite to delivery boys. I'm getting fed up. Take it easy, Rosie. Rome wasn't built in a day. There you go, putting on the dog again. Hello, boys. Hey, can I come in? Sure, come on in, Mike. Hey, look, boss, I, I got a beep. Yeah? Spill it. Well, it's these here chauffeur clothes you got me wearing. The color's choking the daylights out of me. Oh, shut up. Who's talking shut to you? Up. Shut up, you dizzy day. Keep quiet, I both of you. Keep quiet. We didn't come up here to fight. No, we came up here to lay our hands on a quarter of a million bucks worth of sparklers, but I don't see us doing it. We got the Stuyvesant collection in France, didn't we? Say, that job ought to net us a half a million easy. Sure, but I ain't no piker. Besides, those Stuyvesant rocks are as hot as a live coal. Hey, that's right, boss. We can't get a fence to touch them. Yeah, what's going on? Come on and join the party, Phil. Uh, you're looking mad, Rosie. I am mad. Hey, Phil. Huh? Where's your tie? Uh, what do you mean? I said, where's your tie? You're supposed to be the butler around here, aren't you? Ah, oh, now listen, I don't mind being a butler, but I gotta have something to butler, don't I? Yeah, oh, me walking around this monkey suit. What am I gonna do? Shut up, shut up! I'm running this deal, not you. Well, let's get started then. We'll get started when the right time comes. As it stands now, we ought to be glad of a chance to lay low. You mugs don't seem to remember there's a dick on our trail. Uh, you mean Ferris? I mean Ferris. The best jewel detective in this business. If he ever gets wind that we're after the Brockton jewels, it's curtains for us. And quick. Say, who is this guy, Ferris? Has anybody ever seen him? No, that's just why we've got to be careful. We've got to watch our step every inch of the way. Well, it's okay with me. Answer that, Rosie. Sure. Hello? Yes, this is Mrs. Palmer. 
Oh, hello, Ruth, dear. Here's the Brockton dame. Uh, what do you say, dear? Of course, just a moment. She wants to speak to you. Give me the phone. Hello, Ruth. Pretty well. How are you? What? Well, uh, yes, I think so. Wait a minute. Mother, Ruth would like us to come over for tea. Do you think we could make it? You bet your sweet life we can. <laughs> Hello, Ruth. She says she'd be delighted. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> Hot stuff, boss. Tea at the Bronxons. <laughs> Stepping in high society, hey? Yeah, put on your best rags, Rosie, and do your best act like a lady. Don't worry about me. Mike, you drive us over. Wait there for us. Oh, sure, sure. And remember, no gassing with their servants. Not even a word. Boy, this is a break. Right in the same house with the Brockton jewels. This may be the big chance you've been waiting for, Tom. Yeah, maybe. Another cup of tea, Tom? Tom! Oh, uh... No, thanks. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Why? You've been sitting here all afternoon looking like Blue Monday. All I can get out of you is yes and no. Well, uh, I'm not always as talkative as I was on the boat. Yes, I've noticed that. How does it feel to be an unidentified hero? All right, as long as I'm unidentified. Would it be such a tragedy if they found you out? Well, uh, you never can tell about those things. Mm, modest man. I wonder where our respective parents are all this time. I think your father said he'd show Mother the garden. More than likely, he's showing her his jewel collection. She seemed quite interested when he mentioned it. Oh, uh, yes, uh, she's, uh, she's a jewel fancier herself. She seems to be. Dad says she talked nothing but jewels all the way over on the boat. Is that so? She has quite a collection, too, hasn't she? Did she uh, say that? Why, yes, of course. She does have a collection, doesn't she? Oh, yes, the, the Palmer jewels, very famous. I thought so. Well, uh, I... I think it's time we were going. Tom, what's the matter with you? Why do you act so distant? Am I distant? You were different on the boat. Yes, uh, talkative. Too talkative? I'm afraid so. Oh. Then you don't feel the same. About me, I mean. Sure I do, uh, only... Uh... Only what? Look, uh, let's not talk about it now. Someday I'll tell you the whole story. That uh, yellow diamond is the pride of my collection, Mrs. Palmer. Oh, it's beautiful. Tom, you must get Mr. Brockton to show you his diamonds. They're just lovely. Yes, sir, they must be. I beg your pardon, Mr. Brockton. Yes, Wilson? What is it? A telegram just came for you, sir. Oh, uh, excuse me, please. This may be important. Of course. I hope it isn't bad news, Dad. Hmm, I'm afraid it is. I've got to leave for Chicago immediately. Oh, dear. I'm sorry, Ruth, but you'll have to come along with me. Must I? Well, you can't very well stay here all alone. No, I suppose not. Well, Mr. Brockton, if Ruth doesn't want to go, why can't she come over and stay with us? We'd love to have her, wouldn't we, Tom? Why, yes, of course. Well, I... Well, it's awfully nice of you. If it's not too much of an imposition. Nonsense, my dear. We'd be offended if you didn't come, really. Well... All right. Thank you. Oh, uh, I just thought of something. I uh, can't walk off and leave my jewels here, and the bank vault is closed. Hmm. That's a little difficult. Unless, of course, uh, you'd like to leave them in my safe. That's, uh, of course. Why didn't I think of that? That's an idea, Dad. I could bring them over to Mrs. Palmer's. 
I'm sure they'd be all right in Tom's safe. Well, I hate to burden you, Tom, with a responsibility like that. Those jewels are worth a fortune. Certainly, that's why we want them. I mean, to keep them safe for you. Very well. It's really awfully nice of you. Oh, not at all, Mr. Brockton. No, not at all. I'll come over as soon as Dad is packed, Tom, and I'll bring the jewels with me. Fine. Well, uh, we'll run along. See you soon, then. About an hour. Come on, Mother. Goodbye. And thanks again. Oh, don't mention it. So long, Ruth. So long. Don't forget, dear. Hurry over. I will. Well, it worked. Where's Wilson? It was perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Come here, Wilson. You certainly made a great butler. Didn't he, Ruth? Not so bad. Not so bad? Say, that was terrific. They fell for that phony telegram like a load of bricks. What's the next move, Ruth? I spend the night at the Palmer's. Put our jewels in their safe. Learn the combination. In the morning, we'll have our jewels and the Palmer collection. Swell. <laughs> then I can stop playing Papa and uh, have a little fun. Take it easy, will you? We ain't got the Palmer jewels yet. And there's still Ferris to worry about. Oh, stop calamity howling. If Ferris was on our trail, we'd all been in jail weeks ago. Well, there's another thing I don't like so much. Letting those jewels get out of our hands. We had a tough enough time snatching them in the first place. I don't like throwing them around like this. Now, listen, Ruth knows what she's doing. She's the best little crook in the business. A plan can't fail, can it, Ruth? Say, hey, what are you dreaming about? I was just thinking, if we applied the same energy and resourcefulness to being honest, we'd probably all be rich. Yeah, well, we'll be rich anyway. Say, Ruth, what's getting into you? Is it that guy Palmer? That guy Palmer, as you call him, is all right. Oh, I hate lifting his jewels this way. Listen, baby, you better forget him. You ain't no match for a high society mug. No, I guess I'm not. Well, come on, what's the layout? How do we get the Palmer rocks? Leave it to me. When he puts our jewels in the safe, I'll be right there with him. I'll get the combination. And you come down in the middle of the night and lift his and ours both, right? That's it. Swell. <laughs> you know, it tickles me pink to think of them suckers driving home without a thought in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I can just see their faces when they wake up tomorrow and find their rocks has gone bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers these Brocktons must be laying their jewels right in our lap. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, you sure had the right hunch, boss. Laying low like this till the time was right. Yeah, the Brockton jewels are practically in our pockets right now. Well, it looks like a good day's work for us. Before we resume the story of cheating cheaters with George Raft and June Lang, let's breeze over to the Paramount Commissary. It is gay with waitresses in green and orange dresses and extras in costumes, hungry for their lunch. Near the window is a very pretty extra with a friend, and the extra says... Well, which are you going to pick? The 35-cender? Oh, I guess I'll have to. Wish I could plunge on an expensive lunch once, or have somebody buy me a few. Where's Dan? He used to buy you tons of lunches. Oh, he's gone. Oh, men sure are fickle. I heard he's taking Jane out these days. Oh, not really. Jane? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't believe it. Well, I mean, well, Jane hasn't a thing to recommend her. Except, of course, her lovely skin. Well, apparently that does the trick. Dan always did notice a girl's complexion. 
She used to pay me compliments on mine before it went so sad. All men prefer the girls who have soft, smooth, clear skin. A lovely complexion is appealing. So it's important to guard against cosmetic skin, dullness, tiny blemishes, enlarging pores. No need to take this risk if you use Lux Toilet Soap. For Lux Toilet Soap's active lather sinks deep down into the pores, removes every trace of dust and dirt, stale rouge and powder that might remain to choke them. Use cosmetics all you like, but protect your skin. Remove them thoroughly. You do this when you use Lux Toilet Soap. So make this the beauty care you use. And once again, Mr. DeMille. We continue with Cheating Cheetahs, starring George Raft as Tom Palmer and featuring June Lang as Ruth Brockton. Two gangs of jewel thieves working at cross-purposes. Each gang intent upon robbing the other of a valuable collection of diamonds. This is the situation as our curtain rises again. It's early evening in the living room of the Palmer home. Tom and Rosie, whom he calls his mother, are entertaining Ruth Brockton, their more than welcome guest. Mrs. Palmer, your dinner was grand. I must thank you again for letting me impose upon you. No, no, not another word. You're embarrassing us, isn't she, Tom? It's a pleasure to have you, Ruth. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, by the way, Tom, I do hope you've taken good care of uh, Ruth's jewels. Well, uh, no, uh, not yet. I was going to speak to you about that. Uh, do you think we'd better put them away? I've brought them down with me. They're in this box. My dear, you mustn't let them lie around like that. They may get lost. Uh, Tom, uh, open the safe for Ruth. Yes, Mother. Come over here, Ruth. Oh, is it in this room? Yep, behind this panel. Watch. Well, isn't that clever? No thief would ever think of looking for it there. Well, if someone did find it, he'd get a big surprise when he tried to open it. You see, the combination dial is charged with electricity, high voltage. You mean if he touched that dial, he'd get a shock? A couple thousand volts. Oh, would it uh, kill him? No, uh, not instantly. Oh, I see. The torture would last about ten minutes unless someone turned off the switch. It's uh, hidden right here in this bookcase, uh, see? Oh, yes. Don't you think you'd better turn it off for a moment? <laughs> of course. There you are. Now, just a second till I work the combination. Isn't that interesting? I've never seen a safe open before. This happens to be a pretty good one. Simple, uh, but effective. I can imagine. All right. Let's have the jewels, Ruth. Here you are. Are the Palmer jewels in this safe, too? Oh, yes. We're very careful about our collection. Well, if you keep yours there, I guess mine are safe enough. Of course, dear. Of course. I beg pardon, Mr. Palmer. Yes, Phil. Uh, what is it? Mr. Morton Hanley to see you, sir. Morton Hanley? Uh, the gentleman who's been calling you all afternoon. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, did he say what he wanted? No, sir. Just that it was very important. Important? Oh, uh, all right. Uh, ask him to come in. Very good, sir. Would you rather see him alone, Tom? I can run upstairs. No, no, uh, don't go. It can't be as important as he thinks it is. If I were you, Tom, I'd close that safe. You never know who it might be. All right, Mother. But don't be so jumpy. Well, close it anyway. There. Does that make you feel better? 
Thank you, dear. Mr. Palmer is in the living room, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, good evening. Good evening. You are Mr. Palmer? That's right. Uh, Would you have a seat? Thank you. My, uh, my name is Hanley. I represent the Dexter Hero Foundation. Oh, yes, uh, this is my mother, Mr. Hanley. How do you do? And our guest, Miss Brockton. How do you do? Miss Brockton, Miss Ruth Brockton? Yes, sir. Uh, you know her? No, no, not personally, but her name is on my list. You see, Mr. Palmer, I'm gathering testimony from people on board the Argyle. An unidentified man was quite a hero on that occasion, and we really must find him. What for? We're going to award him a gold medal for his valorous conduct. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't help you. No, yes, you can, Mr. Palmer. Yes, you can. You see... We have it on excellent authority so far that you are the unidentified man. You're making a mistake. Tom, don't be modest. You know it was you. Thank you, Miss Blockton. Well, your statement completes our chain of evidence. Mr. Palmer, allow me to congratulate you. Just a minute. You said you had other evidence that I was the man. Who told you that? We have reports from several of the passengers. Dr. Holt, whom you doubtless recall, gave a really glowing statement. But the clearest account of all we received from a detective... A man named Ferris. Ferris? Uh, excuse me. Uh, did you say he, he was a detective? That's right. Ferris. Hmm. I don't recall the name on the passenger list. Do you, Mother? I don't believe I do. Well, he may have traveled incognito. Detectives often do when they're after somebody. Have uh, you seen this Mr. Ferris? Well, no. I called at his office this morning, and one of his assistants told me Mr. Ferris was after a very clever gang of jewel thieves. I see. Hmm, very interesting. Well, uh, Mr. Hanley, uh, thanks for calling, and please give my thanks to Mr. Ferris when you see him. Thank you, I'll do that. And I hope shortly to have the honor of witnessing the formal presentation of your medal. Well, good evening. Good Good evening. evening. The butler will show you out. Thank you. Good night. Well, you're going to get a medal. That's exciting. A little too exciting for me. It's given me a sick headache. I think I'll run off to bed. Is there anything I can do, Mrs. Palmer? Uh, no, dear. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Oh, Tom, I'd like to see you before you go to bed. Yes, Mother. Good night. Good night. Your mother seems quite upset. Oh, uh, she'll be all right. Well, I guess I'd better run along, too. Wait a minute. Don't go yet. I want to speak to you. I'll be here in the morning. I want to speak to you now. Hmm. Sounds important. It is. Well? Do you remember what I told you on the boat? Of course. (laughs) But you needn't worry. I've no intention of holding you to it. I wasn't afraid of that. As a matter of fact, I I want you to hold me to it. What? I meant what I said then, and I mean it now. I want you to marry me, Ruth. Tom. Well? Well, are you sure that... I've told you that I loved you. Yes, but... But what? Oh, I I can't explain it. It's just impossible. Why? Oh, Tom, you're mad to do this. You don't know a thing about me, not a thing. You're taking an awful chance. So are you. Listen, I've knocked around a lot, more than you think, and I've found out something. It doesn't make any difference what a person has been. It's what he's going to be. Suppose you found out something about me that did make a difference. What, for instance? Oh, you can't tell. I might have a secret life of my own that you know nothing about. Maybe I tap every third post or step on every other crack in the sidewalk. Or, you know, I might even be a thief. You? (laughs) That's a laugh. Is it? I'm serious, Ruth. We could be married tonight. By tomorrow, we'd be away from here. For good. For good? Tom, I don't understand you. Why should you want to leave here? Oh, never mind that. 
Will you marry me? I can't, Tom. You mean you're not in love with me? I didn't say that. All right. I'm not going to rush you. Suppose we wait till tomorrow. You can give me your answer then. Tomorrow? Well? All right, Tom. Uh, excuse me, sir. Yes, sir. Miss Brockton's butler is here, sir. Oh, yes. I asked him to bring something over for me. Show him in, Phil. Yes, sir. I'll say good night, Ruth. See you in the morning. Of course. Good night, Tom. I'm Miss Broxton in the living room. Thank you. Good evening, Miss Ruth. Good evening, Wilson. Sorry I had to bring you all the way over here. Oh, that's all right, Miss Ruth. Then how's it going? Be careful. Everything okay? Yes. Jules in the safe? Of course. You know the combination? I told you everything was all right. Okay, okay. What time do you want me to be back here? Three o'clock. There's sure to be a sleep then. Three o'clock, right. <laughs> well, looks like a good day's work for us. <laughs> Two o'clock. Well, do we pull the job or don't we? Yeah, what do you say, boss? Yeah, we've been sitting up here for an hour doing nothing. Let's get started. Sit down, sit down. We'll get out for the jewels when I say so, not before. In the first place, we don't even know if she's asleep yet. She ain't no night owl. Shut up. In the second place, I'm not so sure we ought to pull this job at all. What are you talking about? Keep quiet. You all heard what that bird Hanley said. Ferris spotted me on that boat. He's got his eye on us right now. Ah, so what? We grab the rocks and scram. Sure. Sure. And get pinched at the border. A lot of smart guys you are. Yeah. Gee, I never thought of that. The way I see this is, we lay off the Brockton jewels for good. Clear out of here and forget it. Then when this Ferris thing blows over, you can get together and pull something else. Hey, wait a minute. What do you mean you can get together? Ain't you in with us anymore? Well, uh, sure, of course. Uh... You mean we ain't going to grab them rocks, boss? That's what I said. Holy gee, that hoits. A quarter of a million bucks worth of sparklers and we got to leave them fat and play tag with a dick. It's, gee, that hoits. It's the best thing to do right now. Ah, uh, yes, I guess so. Wait a second, boys. Tom, you ain't fooling me at all. You ain't worried about Paris. No? No, it's that dame. You're soft on her. And you're trying to welch so she won't have to grab her jewel. What? You're a pretty smart girl, aren't you, Rosie? Smart enough to know when I'm getting a shakedown. Hey, now look, Tom. I don't know whether Rosie's got the right dope on this thing or not. All I know is that we sunk plenty of coin into this layout, and this ain't no time to go back on us. Well, what do you say? Keep your voice down. I'll tell you what he's got to say. He's going through with this deal, whether he likes it or not. Because if he don't, I'll queer him with that dame for keeps. I'll tell her what you are. I'll tell her plenty. And so will I. You dirty two-time and double-crossing. Holy Moses. I warn you to keep your voice down. Now, if you want another sap of that, get up and start yelling again. Now, listen, you mugs. I never double-crossed anybody yet. And I'm not going to start now. I'll go through with this job, sure. But this is the finish, understand? I'm through with you, all of you. Now, get out of here and let me alone. Come in, Wilson. We've been waiting outside for half an hour. I told you, three o'clock. Is the coast clear? They're all asleep. Swell. 
Where's the safe? Over here in the wall. Come on. Use your flashlight. Okay. Did you say on the wall? It's behind the panel. Uh, not bad. Not bad. Now, oh, come on. Let's get to work. Look out. What's the matter? Don't touch that safe. It's full of electricity. That's nice. Well, what do we do now? We turn it off, stupid. Look out. Yeah. a girl. You got the combination? I'll give it to you. Keep your light on the dial. Okay, shoot. 24 right. 24 right. 18 left. 18 left. 6 right. 6 right. Well? That's all. There she is. Wide open. Listen. Huh? There's someone coming downstairs. We better duck. Here. Get behind the sofa. Quick. Don't even breathe.
play Cheating Cheaters continues shortly from the Lux Radio Theater. Eight years ago, a vaudeville gymnast injured his back severely while performing at the Hippodrome in New York. He refused to surrender to the doctors who told him he'd be a cripple for life. Instead, he commenced treating himself through exercises. Today, he's not only a perfect physical specimen, but he holds what is probably the only job of its kind in the world. He's employed by the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios to keep their stars in proper physical condition. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Donald A. Loomis. Every day, I work with such stars as Joan Crawford, Jean Harlow, Louise Reiner, Eleanor Powell, Jeanette McDonald. The beauty and glamour they reveal on the screen are direct results of constant training and strict adherence to regular exercise. The advice I'm about to offer is the same advice I have given to them. I don't mean that if you follow it, a movie contract will be waiting, but I do believe you can develop charm and beauty beyond your expectations. The fact to remember is this. Only through the proper circulation of blood can you have a healthy, beautiful body. And nothing in the world promotes good circulation like exercise. It has no substitute. It'll take off weight or put on weight. Tone up your skin marvelously and develop a figure such as you now envy in the stars. But you must exercise every day, or at least every other day. Begin gradually, out of doors if possible. For most people, swimming is usually the best form of exercise. But take it easy. Watch your posture. Round shoulders is the most common fault with women. Copy Norma Shearer. Her posture is the best among all movie stars. Cleanliness is all important. An invigorating shower with plenty of luxe toilet soap will do two things for you. Free your pores of foreign matter and keep your complexion clear and smooth. I'm glad to say that Lux is the soap used by the stars at MGM. Eat, play, and work as you see fit. Don't pass up a good dinner because you're afraid of getting fat, but compensate for the food by proper exercise a little later. Give your body this attention it deserves, and I can safely say that after a few weeks of sensible training, you will feel better, look better, and your whole mental attitude will be completely renewed. Now you get a different view of these stars than anyone else. Who are the best physical specimens in Hollywood? I'd say Joan Crawford, who has trained faithfully for years, Norma Shearer and Dolores Del Rio. And the men with the best physiques, in my opinion, are Clark Gable and Robert Taylor. A couple of weeks ago, Robert Taylor flew 3,000 miles from New York to Hollywood just so he wouldn't miss a workout. But exercise need not be vigorous. Jeanette McDonald's singing helps greatly to keep her fit. Try singing. It's great for your lungs and chest. And perhaps a little rough on the neighbor's ears. That's why I say never try to do too much of anything at one time. And here's something that may surprise you. When Eleanor Powell does one of her dance routines, she actually uses up more energy than Max Schmeling required to knock out Joe Lewis. Well, that seems to prove that Joe ought to take up dancing. Or, or that Eleanor should challenge Braddock. In any event, I'm glad to have been here, Mr. DeMille. And if any of our audience would like a little more specific advice regarding exercises best fitted for themselves, I'll gladly try to help. Just address your letter to Donald Loomis. Metro-Golden-Mayer Studio, Culvert City, California. Good night. Good night, Samson.
And now we bring you the last part of Cheating Cheaters, starring George Raft as Tom Palmer and featuring June Lang as Ruth Brockton. It's the following morning. We're in the office of the National Detective Agency, where the members of both gangs are waiting for the official proceedings that will put them behind the bars. All are present except Ruth, who is in Ferris's private office. Oh, what are they letting us out of here? I'm stiff as a board sitting here all night. Stop beefing, will you? You think the rest of us were sleeping on feather beds? Hey, do you think they got the goods on us, boss? Enough to send us all up for about ten years. Ten years? Holy... What did you think? That they'd slap your hands and tell you not to do it again? I want to see my lawyer. Say, how did they nab you, Brockton? I thought you went to Chicago. That telegram was a fake. I stayed at the house. Yeah? Well, you see what you get for telling stories. Oh, shut up. By the way, uh, are you Ruth's father? I've never been a father in my life. <laughs> That's a break for somebody. Hey, this guy Ferris, is he on the police force? No, he's a private detective employed by the insurance companies. Good morning, everybody. Hiya, Folly. Uh, pull up a chair. Never mind the wisecracks, young fellow. Hey, look, Chief, how about some ham and eggs? I'm starved. Oh, you'll all get breakfast over in the tombs. How long do you think you can keep us here? This isn't a police station. It's the office of a private detective agent. That's right. You see, this is just a little stopover on the way to headquarters. As soon as we get a confession, we'll get going. Yeah? Who do you think is going to confess? Well, we're getting one right now. You mean Ruth? What do you think? So she welched on us, huh? Yeah. Came through with everything we asked her. You're a liar. What? You heard me. Ruth's no squealer. She wouldn't let us down. Wait till you find yourself in the jug, Palmer. Maybe you'll change your mind a little. Hello? Who wants Ferris? Oh, the district attorney. Well, I'll talk to him. Hello? Well, how are you, Mr. Andrews? No, this is Farley speaking. I'm sorry, but Ferris is engaged. Getting a confession. Yeah, Ruth Brockton, head of the Brockton gang. Hmm, she's spilling it now. All right, I'll tell Ferris. We'll shoot the confession over to you as soon as she signs it. Goodbye, Mr. Andrews. You'll excuse me, won't you, folks? I'm very busy this morning. Ah, scram, Farmer. <laughs> You don't think Ruth is squealing, do you, Palmer? Not a chance. That phone call just now was a gag. If we'd only gotten away with this job, I was going to retire. Yeah, me too. It's a dirty shame. Say, I've got an idea. Yeah? We could use a good idea right now. Well, well what is it? Well, we lifted those Stuyvesant jewels. We broke it all up and had the stones reset, didn't we? Sure. What about it? It's our one big chance. How do you mean? Don't you see? Ferris represents the insurance burglary companies. Now, what's worrying the companies most is how to get back the jewels. Now, with the stones reset, how many of the original owners will be able to identify their stuff? Not one of them. That's why Ferris is keeping us here in this office. And that's why he wants us to think Ruth has squealed. Well, that's it, all right. We'll beat the rap yet? Everything depends on Ruth. If they break her down, we're licked. But she can't break down. If she does, she'll land in the jug herself. No, she won't. None of you will. But you've got to let me do the talking. Now, look. I'll ask to see Ferris. It's me, cowboy. All right, miss. Come in here, please. What do you want me to do? Be careful what you say, Ruth. Quiet, you. All right, miss. Now, if you'll identify these people, I'll call them off in the order in which they're named in your confession. She's squealing on us. Quiet, I said. Ready, miss. I'm ready. Good. George Brockton. That's George Brockton over there. You cheap squealer. You're not fit to associate with others. Take him away, men. Keep him outside. Come on. Let Let me go, will you? Come on. Now, Steve Wilson and Phil Davis. That's Davis, and there's Wilson. I thought you was regular. Outside, you two. I'll get you. I'll have to swing for this. 
Rosie Snyder next, alias Rosie Palmer. That's Rosie. All right, I'm going. Mike Donovan. Well, that's me, I guess. <laughs> so long, boss. See you up above. Yeah. <laughs> One more. Tom Palmer. Uh, I'd like to speak to him, please, alone. I want to see Ferris. Hold your horses. Okay, miss, you can talk to him here. I'll go out and take care of the others. Thank you. So you squealed on us, eh? You let us down. I'm sorry, Tom, I had to. Pretty low, even for a crook. You hate me, don't you? If I do, it's your fault. I almost went straight for you last night. I would have taken the rap for you today. What do you mean? If I could have gotten to see Ferris before you confessed. I was all set to cover you up. Take the rap myself. You would have done that for me? Oh, Tom, I'm sorry. Oh, what's the use? It's all over now. Sit down, Tom. I I want to tell you something. Something about myself. Forget it. Please, Tom. Well, what is it? You see, I used to be a newspaper reporter at $30 a week. On one assignment for my paper, I ran into a gang of crooks and recovered a lot of money for an insurance company. They liked the way I handled the case and offered to set me up in business as a private detective to investigate their thefts. I, uh, used the name of Ferris. Ferris? You? Yes, Tom. Well, <laughs> that just makes everything fine and dandy, doesn't it? I bet you're getting a terrific kick out of putting me behind the bars. Wait, Tom. A minute ago, you said you'd go through for me. Well, I believe you. I'm going through for you. Yeah, how? I didn't look for this job. The job found me. When I got to working with Brockton and the others and to knowing you, I, I felt pretty cheap. I would have given anything to have been out of it, but I couldn't help myself. Then, last night when you asked me to marry you, I, I thought of our future, yours and mine together. I knew the better side of you, and I wanted to help you find yourself. Why didn't you tell me this before? It's not too late, even now. No, what do we do? Set up housekeeping and sing sing? Oh, excuse me. Yes, Farley? The rest of the gang want to see Ferris. All right, let them come in. Okay. Well, what are you going to do? I said it wasn't too late, Tom. You mean you're, you're going to give me a chance to go straight? I think that's all you need, a chance. Am I right? If you'll stick close to me. I'll never let you out of my sight. Oh, gee, Ruth, I don't know. Be, be careful. All right, boys, come on in. Hey, where's Ferris? Yeah, where is he? Ain't in here. Yeah, we said we wanted to see Ferris. Just a minute, boys. Let me introduce the head of the National Detective Agency, Miss Ruth Ferris. Ruth, you mean, Ruth? Well, all right, Ruth. Uh, if you're Ferris, I've got a proposition to make. I think I know what your proposition is, George. But let me make one first. Now, boys, you want to make restitution of the stolen property in exchange for a life sentence, right? Right. Well, I'm going to do better than that for you. I'm going to put you all to work. Did you say work? Oh, this is the end. For a long time, you've been preying on society. Now I'm going to give you a chance to come in here and help protect society. But let me tell you this. The first time you hear of a job that's being pulled off and fail to report it or double-cross me in any way, it means 20 years. She's going to make detectives out of us. Well, I've had a good education for the job. Now it's up to you. There's pen and ink out in the front office. I want a signed confession from each one of you. What are you going to do with the confession? Nothing, as long as you remain on the square with me. Now take your choice. The confessions or 20 years. Hey, lead me to the pen and paper. There's plenty of both out in the front office. Yeah. Hurry up. Yeah, right. Well, Rosie, 
Not going to sign? Oh, I'll sign it all right. Me, a detective. Huh. I'll never be able to hold up my head again. <laughs> well, Tom? I suppose you want a confession from me, too. Uh-huh. All right, I'll go outside and write it. That's not the kind of confession I want from you. No? I want you to confess that when you told me you loved me, that you meant it. Every single word. Guilty. You want a couple of witnesses to that? I think we could use them. Sure. Two witnesses. We can let them sign the marriage certificate. Well, it looks like a good, good day's, day's work, work for us. play is done, the curtain drops. A moment yet, the actor stops and looks around to say farewell. Tonight's stars, George Raft and June Lang, return shortly to the microphone. I think that discoveries are accidents designed by destiny. A fabulous fortune and hundreds of the jewels women now wear were found in South Africa because a Dutch farmer happened to notice a group of children playing marbles. The marbles were diamonds and led to the opening of one of the richest mines in the world. It was also by accident that I myself once discovered a diamond in the rough. In fact, it was in the rough and tumble action of a keystone comedy that I saw her. And just the way she leaned against the door conveyed to me an appeal that I knew would intrigue the world. I took her out of comedies and made her the star of six DeMille productions. She was an absolutely new type of heroine. Because most of the heroines who preceded her were sweet and charming ingenues. While all the sirens were evil women and heavies, she combined the best qualities of both and became the screen's first romantic siren who was not a villainous. This famous young woman was the first of many screen stars who can truly be said to have possessed glamour. She did more than any girl before or since to make Hollywood the fashion center of the world. And she now steps to the microphone, just as fascinating as she was then. Ladies and gentlemen, Gloria Swanson. You're very generous. I changed the old adage of hitch your wagon to a star and hitch mine to a director and became a star. <laughs> That's just modesty, Gloria. You're talking through that pretty little brown and white turban of yours. As a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, I just happened to fit into the DeMille scheme of things, which consisted of putting realism, beauty, style, and sophistication on the screen. You're one of the world's most exotic women. It just happens that you're also a very good actress. No, all women are good actresses. And I still insist, ladies and gentlemen, that it was Mr. DeMille's daring that made me a star. Until he produced Old Wives for New, every picture followed the same formula. A boy met a girl, lost her for a while, and then finished the picture by marrying her. Mr. DeMille took the story up from there. So producers believed that you couldn't make a successful picture about a husband and wife. Mr. DeMille made one. 
and thereby made history. It was a great success and introduced the social drama to the screen. It wasn't my daring that people talked about. It was yours. Do you remember the scene in Male and Female? When we duplicated the famous painting, The Lion's Bride, and had a lion crouched above you with its claws on your bare back while the trainer cracked the whip in its face to make it snarl? Yes, Mr. DeMille, I remember. Now, I've got a scene in my present picture that... Uh, it... uh, I, I'm very sorry, but I'm not as daring now as I was then. Uh, well, you're just as charming. I never saw you look more beautiful. That's uh, L-U-X. Now, what's that spell? Oh, Shane, go to the bottom of the class. That's spelled Lux. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lux is my favorite beauty soap. And now, through its radio theater, you and I meet again for the first time in nearly seven years. Then before we say goodnight, I'd like to give you one final bit of direction. What is it? Sing for us. Well, I don't pretend to be a singer, but if you're willing to risk my singing on your program, so am I. I'll sing None But the Lonely Heart by Tchaikovsky. Please. study in contrasts. So far, June has always played the role of a young and innocent girl, while George made his reputation as Hollywood's streamlined villain. George spent most of his life in New York. <clears throat> June has just returned from her first trip to Manhattan. But suppose they speak for themselves and as themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, George Raft and June Lang. Thanks, Mr. DeMille. Well, June, how did you find the old hometown? Oh, easily, George. 
I took the plane to Newark and drove over the Skyway, through the Holland Tunnel, and <laughs> there it was. I mean, uh, did you like it? Oh, <laughs> immensely. I was fascinated by the New York crowds, and I've never seen so many well-dressed women before. And judging from their wonderful complexions, they apparently use Lux toilet soap just as much as we do here in Hollywood. I even had Lux in my hotel room. It made me feel really at home in New York. In New York, George was the most popular boy in his neighborhood. The other kids would do anything he told them to. Incidentally, George's grandfather owned the merry-go-round on Coney Island. <laughs> My grandfather also was a gold prospector here in California. He made several strikes. And you followed his example as a ball player? I guess you're right, but in pictures, I'm better with a gat than a bat. I don't know why you're a gangster on the screen so many times, George. Oh, I don't know. I like being a villain. I think it's more interesting. I also think it's more true to life. June, uh, down deep, I believe there's a bit of villainy in every man. Even in Mr. DeMille? <laughs> Why not? Why, I think Mr. DeMille's one of the nicest men I ever met. Now, don't stop, June. I'm beginning to enjoy this interview. <laughs> Just let me tell you what he did to me one day. He was making this day and age... Well, you talk, George, like one of my actors. You weren't even in that picture. Well, one morning when I came to work, my dressing room had completely disappeared. Why blame me? I'm a director, not a magician. The reason I couldn't find it was that the mill had completely surrounded one of his big sets. Didn't he give you another room? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, for two solid weeks, I shared quarters with Tuffy, the collie mascot. <laughs> but it wasn't so bad. I used to be a mascot myself. <laughs> George was mascot of the New York Yankees, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I chased home runs all over New York City. <laughs> Tonight you hit one yourself, George. And you too, June. Thank you. It's been marvelous being here. Good night. And all is forgiven, Mr. DeMille. I've had a great time, and I hope to be back again sometime. Good night. Good night, George. Thank you, Mr. Raft and Miss Lang. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your announcer, Melville Ruick. Assisting our stars in tonight's play were Wally Mayer as Mike, Justina Wayne as Mrs. Palmer, Victor Rodman as Mr. Brockton, Lou Merrill as Wilson, Frank Nelson as Phil, Ross Forrester as Handley, Richard Legrand as Farley, and John Lake and Charles Emerson as police officers. Mr. Raft and Mr. DeMille appeared through courtesy of Paramount Studios. Miss Lang and Mr. Silvers, 20th Century Fox, and Mr. Loomis, Metro-Golden-Mayer. The music for the new picture, Road to Glory, produced by 20th Century Fox, was arranged by Mr. Silvers. Mr. DeMille tells us now of next week's program. One of the screen's most colorful figures comes to the Lux Radio Theater next Monday night, James Cagney. You've seen him as a sailor, taxi driver, gangster, G-man, and aviator. But you'll hear him next week in an, in an entirely new role. The manager of a prize fighter in the famous comedy, Is That So? By James Cleason and Richard Tabor. Robert Armstrong and Boots Mallory will be featured in the cast with Mr. Cagney. <laughs> Sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, together with Mr. Cagney, Mr. Armstrong, and Miss Mallory, join me in inviting you to be with us next Monday night in the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Is That So? This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood.
is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now we go from cheating cheaters to family fair in the family theater with a show called Let Us Remember. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Claude Jarman Jr. and J. Carol Nash, with Robert Young as your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. This is Robert Young. I hope that by now, listening to family theaters become a habit with you. It ought to be because family theater is your program, you know, dedicated to your family. The idea for this program came from among you in the radio audience. You asked that we, the performers of pictures and radio, and the technical people, get together and bring you the family theater to acknowledge all the fundamental things we deeply believe in. We believe as you do that a happy family is just about the greatest thing a man could wish for. And we sincerely believe that prayer, family prayer, prayers asking God for his help, and prayers acknowledging that help, will keep our families together and happy. Tonight's play on family theater is a story of a typical American family named Jones, and a very unusual experience which happened to their young son, Bill. But wait a minute, rather than my telling you, why not listen to our original story by D.H. Johnson, entitled, Let Us Remember, featuring that young star of the yearling, Claude Jarman, Jr., and J. Carol Nash. It's been said that the sad thing about being young is that you're never old enough to appreciate it. Take young Bill Jones, for example. He has the youth for which many of us would trade all our possessions. He has good health, a good brain, and judging by the house on whose back steps he is now unhappily sitting, a good home. And yet to his pal Skinny, Bill is saying, Gee, I wish I was an old man. I wish I was real elderly. I wish I was 35 or 40 even. Yeah? What would you do? Nothing. I'd have already done it. Done what? Made my money. Oh. Yeah, then I wouldn't need to worry like I'm doing now about where am I going to get a dollar. Gee, one little dollar. And if I don't get it, I'm sunk. You still beating your gums about that? Gee whiz, Skinny, who wouldn't? You know what I promised, don't you? A guy can't go back on his promise, can he? It's been done. Not by me. I told the guys I'd meet him at the drugstore at noon Saturday and I'd have a dollar to buy him all sodas. And I've got to be there at noon. Well, it's 11 now. Don't I know it? Where are you going to get a dollar? That's you. Always bringing up a fresh subject. Say, you haven't got a dollar, have you? Hey, I know. Maybe your sister could let you have it. You asked Julie. I did. 
You mean she would... Yeah, she tried to borrow a dollar from me. Oh, that's girls for you. They got no idea of the value of money. Oh, hey, I got it. Your dad's home today, ain't he? No use asking him, Skinny. Why not? Your dad's a swell guy. Not this morning. Huh? He's in the den, working on his income tax. Oh. I don't know what gets into people when they're working on their income tax. You say the slightest word, and they're liable to blow their top. Oh, it's just the money. You know how old people worry about money. Yeah, what good does worry do? Gee, I wish I had a dollar. Well, look, Bill, go on. Ask your dad anyway. If you use the right approach, it's a cinch. Approach? Why, sure. Sneak up on them. Let them see what a swell son you are. Then you're in. That's the way you get money from your dad? Well, it don't work for me. My dad knows me. But with you, it's a pushover. Okay, Skinny. I'll try it. You wait here. Happy landings. Gee, I can taste that soda already. Twenty-one and seven is twenty-eight. Thirty-six, forty-three, and eleven is fifty-four. Hi there, Dad. Oh, now I've got to do that whole column over again. What's doing, Dad? Adding up something? Yeah. Your perception is amazing, William. Gee, thanks. Uh, look, son, I'm uh, I'm sort of busy. Is this uh, just a social call, or do you want something? Uh, that's funny. Funny? I was just going to ask you if you wanted something. I mean, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, yes, son. Uh, you can go back outdoors. Maybe you'd like me to add up some figures for you. I'm plenty solid on figures. Oh, that's strange. I've been getting just the opposite impression from your arithmetic grades. Oh, arithmetic. That hairy stuff, after that gunk, your income tax is nothing. Oh, I wish you were right. Come on, Dad. Let me help. Ah, no thanks, son. Anyway, I've got the income tax done. What I'm working on now is the family budget. You mean what Mother calls a fuss budget? <laughs> She's right, too. <laughs> One or the other of us is always fussing with it. Well, right now, I'm trying to squeeze out a few extra dollars for charity. Gosh, you get plenty of charity already, don't you, Dad? Well, we try to, son. Your mother and I believe in doing unto others as we'd have them do to us. But uh, right now, we're trying to do a little more than usual. Something new coming up? No, it's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time, son. Ever since the war started, in fact... It isn't over yet. What do you mean? Well, you see the papers. You must have read something about the hunger situation in the other half of the world. Oh, yeah, there? Mm-hmm. That's, that's why we're scraping up all we can for the relief campaigns that are going on right now. There are still too many people praying, give us this day our daily bread, and putting a real plea into every syllable. Yeah, it must be pretty rugged, all right. Uh, uh look, son, why don't you go outside and play? Well, uh, listen, Dad, I really did come in because I wanted something. Yes, I, I suspected that. Look, you don't want the guys to be calling me a Nicky, do you? Well, whatever that means, I imagine I don't. Okay, then. You've got to help me, Dad. I'm really in a spot. So? What's a foot? A foot? Oh, to use the classical phrase, what gives? Well, oh, well, you see, I was coming home from school yesterday, and something... Well, something kind of hit me. Uh, not hard, I hope. I mean, kind of an idea. You know what I mean. So I said to a bunch of the kids, I said, meet me at the drugstore Saturday noon. I'll buy you all sodas. I'll have a dollar. Well, is that all? Well, I... All except one thing, Dad. I... I haven't got the dollar. Hmm. Look, son, uh, you got your allowance at the beginning of the week, you know. Yeah, but that was the beginning of the week. Things are high these days. Money doesn't go as far as it used to. You know, I've heard rumors about that myself. 
How's about it, Dad? Can I have it, huh? Can I? Please? Well, I'll tell you, son. I, uh... Excuse me, George. May we come in a minute? Why, of course, Mother. William and I aren't doing anything important. Not important. I wanted you to see Julie's first formal. Just got it finished. Come in, dear. Oh, isn't it wonderful, Dad? Isn't it just absolutely beautiful? Mm-hmm. Look at that. Hey, sis, that's terrific. You made that all yourself, Mother? Mm-hmm. Every single stitch. Well, it didn't come out quite right around now, here, Now, now, but... now, wait a minute. Don't start picking flaws. Why, I'd have sworn it came out of the best store on Fifth Avenue. Oh. It's beautiful. Of course, you got to give a little credit to who's got it on. <laughs> well, what do you know about that? A compliment from my own brother. Oh, Skip it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Don't let him fool you, Julie. We both think you're lovely. In fact, <laughs> if I'd only met you first, I'd probably have married you instead of your mother. <laughs> oh, oh my George. What a thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, come, dear. We mustn't keep your father from his work. And you too, William. George, has he been bothering you about that dollary one? Uh, yes, yes. He mentioned it, Mother. I, I've made up my mind on the matter. Good. I hope you'll be very firm. Come, Julie. I want to take a little tuck in that peplum. A tuck in the peplum? Gee, what's that? <laughs> well, that, that's woman talk, William. We don't always understand them, and, and they don't always understand us. Uh, here. Here's something for you. A dollar! Gee whiz, Dad. Thanks a million. I got it, Skinny. Look. Oh, boy. A whole buck. Get that soda fountain ready. Here I come. I'll be coming around the fountain when I come. Let's go this I'll way. be we'll coming around the fountain the when I come. I'll be coming around the fountain with a soda like a mountain. I'll be coming around the fountain. Well, come on. Relax. I'm coming. What are you hanging behind for? I thought you wanted a soda. Well, sure I do. But look, suppose we got kind of tired walking through the park here. Huh? Tired? Yeah, suppose we had to sit down on a bench and rest. Yeah? Then what? Well, okay, so we're a little late getting to the drugstore. Now, the rest of the guys give up and go home. And when we get there... Hey, wait! We got the whole buck to spend on ourselves. Now listen, Skinny. But think what we could do with the whole buck. Not just sodas, but banana splits. I'm not interested. Not interested in a banana split? Hey, maybe you never had a banana split the way they make them at that drugstore. But I mean... Now, just listen. They take two bananas, you see? Now, over that, they put three scoops of ice cream. Three! Over that, pineapple sauce. Over that, whipped cream. Over that, chopped walnuts. And on top of that, a cherry. Mm Mmm. Gosh, how can you say you ain't interested? Yeah, but skinny, don't you get me? I promised the guys. Okay, okay. You got to keep a promise. Oh, but look, if some of them don't come and we can stretch this dollar far enough to... Hey, where is the dollar? Huh? It's not in my pocket. Are you kidding? It's not in my pocket. I know I had it in my pocket. Hey, hey, you know something? You remember just when we came into the park, you took out your new Scott knife to show me the special blade? Yeah. And we looked for something to try it out on? Hey! The dollar was in the pocket with the knife. It fell out. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Gee whiz. And that was a way back there, too. We'd better get back there and find it before somebody else does. Boys! Wait! Hey, hey, there's somebody calling us. Yeah, it's that man coming down the path. And look, he's waving something. It's the dollar. I, I, I think maybe this belongs to one of you boys, huh? 
Gee, thanks, mister. Oh, gosh, we was just getting kind of worried. Well, I, I, I saw you drop it when you turned into the park. <laughs> Next time, I, I hope you don't walk so fast, huh? You see, Bill, I was just telling you we should not a hurry. Well, two boys with a dollar to spend and you don't want to hurry. Well, sure, if we hurry, we just get sodas. But if we take our time, it could be banana splits. Banana splits? What is that? You mean you don't know? Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I come from another country. Okay, it's about time somebody told you. Now, look, let's sit down on this bench. And I'll tell you all about it. Now... A banana split Look, Jenny, old... the guys are waiting. Ah, let them wait. Maybe they'll go home. Now, first you take a banana seat, and then you Listen. split it. You go ahead and tell the kids to wait, and I'll be there in a minute. I'll tell them what it is. Oh, but gee whiz. Hold on. I can tell him faster. Oh, jeepers. Always in a rush. Suppose you did promise the guys. Oh, please. This is not important. I do not want to take a boy's valuable time. That's to... okay. You gave me back my dollar, didn't you? All right. Here's what a banana split is. First, they take a banana. Split <laughs> Walnuts and a cherry? This is, how do you say, edible? Sure, it's super. Super? Yeah, good. Well, I, I hope you excuse my saying this. It does not sound good. Maybe that's just because you don't have such things in your country, huh? No. In my country now, we do not have much of anything. Not ice cream, even? Many times, not even bread. Gee, that's kind of tough. What country do you come from, mister? Which one? Oh, it doesn't matter. There are many countries like mine. They speak different tongues, yes, but there is one thing they all understand. What it is like to be hungry and cold and bitter. Look, what is it like, mister? Well, how can I tell you? You are an American boy. Maybe you've never even been hungry. Sure, I've been hungry. Oh? Yeah, gee whiz. Just last summer, me and some of the guys in my scout troop went on a hike. We went off and forgot our lunches and... What's the matter? What are you looking at me that way for? How long were you hungry? Well, we started out right after breakfast, and we didn't get back till late that night. One day. Well, gee whiz, I was hungry, wasn't I? I'm glad you do not know what hunger is. It is a bad thing to know. It does a bad thing to your heart, the, the hunger that goes on not for a day, but months and years. A little to eat, yes, but never quite enough. And something happening to your heart that is worse than anything that could happen to your body. It is what... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe we should talk of more pleasant things, huh? But honest, mister, I want to know, what is it like? Well, no. But gosh, mister, I explain things to you. Well, all right. If you want, I will try to tell you. You were very kind explaining to me. But what I say is not going to be kind, maybe. Maybe it hurts. That's okay. I'm no salty. All right. Maybe the best way is for you to help me. I, I have not much words, but you have an imagination. We put them together and maybe we get a picture, huh? Okay. Okay. Oh, I like that word. Okay. It is so American. Well, all right. Now, you can imagine maybe you are a boy of your own age in my country. You have got now, I suppose, a comfortable home, huh? A good American home. And a family? 
Sure, Mom, Dad, and my sister. So, but this boy you are imagining yourself to be, he would not have this comfortable home. Once he did, but it was bombed, destroyed. So you are living now maybe in a cellar. You and your mother and sister. Your father... Well, like like most of the fathers in my country, he was in the military, and and maybe he did not come back. So so you are wearing rags, and you are cold. And uh, as for food, well, it has been a long time since you have seen anything like good meat or milk or bread. A long time, but you have not forgotten what they are like, because food, any food, is the thing that is always in your mind. Always you are saying... Mom, haven't we got anything to eat? Anything? Oh, I'm sorry, son. There's just a little of the potato soup we had yesterday. Can I, Mom? Please, just a couple of spoonfuls. It has to do for tonight, son. For all of us. Tonight, potato soup. Tomorrow, potato soup. Potato soup, when we got potatoes. Well, maybe Julie will bring something home. Okay, Mom. I'll wait. You're a good boy, William. You don't complain very much. Oh, I guess I haven't much to complain about compared to you, Mom. Now, don't you worry about me, William. This, this trouble will all be over someday. 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 But when? I don't know, son. I don't know. Oh, Julie? Julie. Did you get anything? Did you get any food, sis? Nothing. No. Nothing. This looks, how should I say, impossible, huh? Maybe you cannot imagine it happening to you and your family. But it has happened to families just like yours. Much worse has happened. Things I cannot even tell you because you are a boy. A good boy. A fine boy. So what does a good boy do when his life and his world is filled with the dull gray ache of hunger? Maybe you go out to find some work, huh? To get a little money to buy food for the people you love? All right. You walk down to a street where once there were factories, though now they are ripped open by bombs, and the black beams are like ribs bared by famine. But finally you do find one building that still stands. kind of a job I could get here? Run along, kid. Please. Any kind of a job. I'll do anything. Please. How can I give anybody a job? I have no machines, no materials, no nothing. Now, get out. But let us say maybe you do find a job one day. It is a hard job. And for you it is doubly hard. Not only because you are a boy, but... Because you are weak from the long hunger. And at the end of the day, the job is true. But but you have a little money. Now you can buy food, huh? 
Real food. No more potatoes, no more moldy crusts, good bread and meat, huh? All right. Most of the stores are closed, nailed up. But you find at last a place where there is a little food, if you have money. All right, kid. Speak up. Don't just stand there staring. What do you want? Could I... Could I buy a little of that meat? Meat? Sure. You got a lot of money? Well, I've got some money. Look. <laughs> money. You call that money? What do you think you can buy with that? Get out. The prices are high in the black market. And nowhere, it seems to you now, is there pity. Is there help? Is there even understanding for you? A boy lonely and afraid. In a world he never made. So in your rags and your clothes you walk and walk and walk. And you come maybe to a shop window where there is bread. Loaves of bread. There behind the glass. And into your mind there comes the thought. Bread. Bread. If I could only get a loaf of that bread. I... I... I can! Come back here! Come back here! What do you think you're doing? Break my window, will you? Please, mister, please, don't hit me. Steal my bread, will you? No, no, mister, please. You beat! You beat! I'll beat you! Little by little, driven by hunger, you will sacrifice everything you have known as moral. Soon you will not only steal, you will kill to get what you want. And you and your gang will form a hard little island of hate and bitterness. You will grow up into a group of men pitted against everything that is decent in the world. But I don't want to do that. And someday, someday to your islands of hate, maybe there'll come another Hitler. And he'll mold your hunger and your bitterness and your disregard of all morals into another war. And he'll lead your generation into more years of senseless destruction. But I don't want that to happen. I don't want another war. I don't want it. Why, excuse me. I, I am so sorry. I... I knew it would not be kind to tell you these things. What hunger can do to your heart. But I don't want it to happen. I don't want it. Well, who does? Because all the future of the world is in the hands of that boy you imagined yourself to be. His world is going to be what he makes it now. And your world, too. Hey, what's the matter with you, Bill? The guys are waiting. Come on. Oh, maybe you had better go. Remember, you promised, huh? Well, I guess. Okay. Goodbye, mister. Goodbye, my boy. Uh, maybe I, I will see you again sometime, huh? Hey, Bill, what were you talking to him about so long? Oh, you wouldn't get it, Skinny. Hey, what am I, a moron or something? Maybe you would get it at that. Look, what we were talking about. Well, everything's on the table, George. Guess we might as well go ahead and eat. 
Julia has to get dressed for the prom, you know. I wonder what can be keeping that boy. Oh, you know how it is, Dad. He went out with a bunch of his friends. Boys don't have any sense of responsibility. <laughs> Meaning that girls have? Well, I will say that girls usually come home to meals. Well, he wasn't even here for lunch. Well, I suppose the soda took care of that, but still, I can't... Gee, am I glad to see you people. Gosh, Julia, you look pretty. My goodness. And gee, Mom, you're looking swell. Well, thank you, William. I'm feeling very well. And Pop... Gee whiz, just let me touch you. Uh, son, uh, what's got into you? What was in that soda? Oh, I didn't even have a soda. Why should I want all that goo and gum? <laughs> well, that's a new angle for you. Yeah, and I guess I got a new angle on something else today, Dad. You remember what you said to me this morning about trying to scrape up some money for the relief campaign? Now, don't tell me you actually heard me. I did, Dad. And you can turn this in when you turn in ours. My huh? gracious. What's that? Look at all the money. $3.43. One of the dollars is what you gave me, Dad. The other one belonged to Skinny. He had it all the time. Can you imagine it? And the rest comes from all the guys in the neighborhood. The guys in the neighborhood? Yeah, the fellas at the drugstore. I gave him a real pep talk. I already cracked down on him. You? Out soliciting contributions for famine relief? And why not? I got a brain, haven't I? I can see the need, can I? Well, you've certainly never shown any signs of it before. Signs of what? A brain? Oh, children, children, please. Now, let's eat our dinner. Uh, thank you, Mother. William... What do you say, Grace? Me? You mean me? Yes. I think you've shown that you're old enough to begin. Gee whiz. Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for this food. We, uh, as we eat it, let us remember that... Let us remember that the people we're sharing our food with are people just like us. And help us to help them to to help us to build us all a better world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Claude Jarman, Jr. and J. Carol Nash. This is Robert Young again, and from your letters I know that many of you, in fact most of you, listen to family theater with your families. And how fortunate we American families are. Look at our children, then think for a second of the children of Europe. Think of the story in tonight's play. Millions of them facing one of the cruelest winters in Europe's history. They're clothed in rags, and thousands of kids... Little kids, six, seven, eight years old, rooting in garbage cans for food. Now look at your kids. You have to admit, we're pretty lucky. And think for a second of Europe's displaced families. Fathers, mothers, and children, all separated. All frantically searching for each other. Trying to be what you are, together. Just being together would be their happiness. The happiness we already have. But that family life is what so many of us seem bent on throwing away. Our divorce courts are jammed. Our newspapers repeat over and over again the words, juvenile delinquency. What's happening to us? Aren't we up to the job of keeping our homes and families together? Is it too much for us? All right, maybe it is. But we don't have to go it alone. We can get help. The most wonderful and powerful help a man could ask for. And that's all we've got to do. Ask for it. Ask and ye shall receive. Ask God to help. 
pray. And pray together with your family. A family that prays together stays together. So pray together tonight, tomorrow night, and every night. Pray that your family would be together always. Thanks to tonight's stars, Robert Young, Claude Jarman Jr., and J. Carol Nash. Before saying goodnight, we want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Fred Mackay for directing our play tonight, and to our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the Family Theater will be Edward G. Robinson, Pat O'Brien, and Bill Williams in an original story by True Boardman entitled, Work of a Lifetime. This series of the Family Theater is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program, by the mutual broadcasting system which has responded to this need, and by the actors and technicians in the motion picture and radio industries who have volunteered their services to fulfill it. Portions of the preceding broadcast were transcribed. This program is heard overseas through the facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. Tony Lafrano speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Now we have a Canadian production, Theater 1030, and their rendition of Dr. McGregor and the Curious Bone. Enjoy. Theater 1030 presents, from Vancouver, Dr. McGregor and the Case of the Curious Bone. A play by Betty Lambert. Oh, I knew it. One night out of ten, you're home on time. And it has to be tonight. You must say it's rough out of six, Mrs. No, Graydon. No, you're getting grumpy with me, Dr. McGregor. Won't do any good to your juices. Nine out of ten grumpy people don't suggest their food properly. Is that so? There's in the magazine. Hmm. And my Arizona errand of mercy. That's why I'm late. Poor Miss Schofield. Yes, she's, uh, she's getting worse, I'm afraid. Oh, not Esther Schofield. Uh-huh. No, she's got messes running after day and night. Yes, and she makes the money, too, with my head. No, it's almost any other thing I've all alone in that big old house. Yes, Rosa, look at inside that house. Well, it's too big a place for two old ladies to handle. The whole west wing closed up. Everything's in a dreadful state with Miss Esther. The cupboards are disgraced. And you've looked in all the cupboards, of course. I had to find a tea towel now, didn't I? <laughs> I had to dry a week's dishes. It's <laughs> a strange business. I always wonder what happened to make them so distrustful of people. Oh, that story. Huh? My old aunt, she was a girl at the time. She told me about it. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes, tragic, then. Mom. That's all. If some people think other people are Nosey Parker, just because they have to look in the cupboard for a tea towel, then some people shouldn't be Nosey Parker themselves. Yes. Well, it's also long ago. I'm sure it's no consequence. Mm. They shut up the house right after it happened, 50 years ago. Sent off the servants without a day's notice. Cut off all the friends. Oh, they like her, no? This gin is not too well, I suppose. I really hope to drop by sometime. She's just getting on, you know. I, I don't think she needs a doctor. 
nothing to see anyway. It's just a big old house. Mrs. Graydon, I am not interested in the Schofield house as such or in the local gossip. However, as the Schofield physician, I suppose I could be considered the family Oh, doctor. yes, you haven't a curious bone in your body. Of course, the, uh, the Schofields are always odd. Oh, Mr. Schofield, now, he wouldn't even trust the bank. He's got a special room to keep his money in. And hmm? those high walls look right what he is doing. The sun never gets inside that house. It smells quite musty. And I take it they were left waiting at the altar or something? Well, no one ever really knew which one he jilted, but as you say, it, it's an old story. No one would be interested now. <laughs> but you know, it's really my duty to check up on Miss Jenny, huh? Make sure she's eating properly. Oh, sort of yes, doctor. It can go anywhere. That's just a professional interest. But anyone I else... never said you were a nosy Parker, Mrs. Gray. If you're going, I'm going too. <sighs> Perhaps you're better. I'll probably never get inside by myself. She doesn't answer at first. She just has to keep right on. Miss Jenny? Miss Jenny, I know you're in there. She's got so deaf, you know, she can't hear a thing now. for miles, not even a proper road. Those trees and the wall must keep the house in constant shadow. Miss Jenny! Oh, go away. We've just come to see how you are, Miss Jenny. I'll fix the dog on you. Now, Miss Jenny, you know there isn't a dog anymore. This is Dr. McGregor. Not me who needs the doctor. It's Esther who's sick. You the doctor who's taking care of Esther? Yes, I am. Going to die? <laughs> Doing all that is humanly possible, Miss Jenny. Yes, and now she's not the bad one to get inside. I know what you said. We'll only stay a minute, Miss Jenny. Tell that woman to stop shouting. Training like a horse. So, you're Esther's doctor. I hear they cough up blood when they've got what she's got. Is that true? Miss Esther was resting satisfactorily this afternoon. Never could stand the sight of blood, Esther. Always squeamish. Miss Esther in good hands with Dr. McGregor. There she goes again. I, I don't think there's any need, Mrs. Grant. Think I don't know? People always shouting. I thought I might check you over, Miss Jenny. If you don't mind, perhaps I could listen to your heart. Nothing wrong with my heart. Yes, Esther always thought I'd be the first to go. Breathe deeply, please. Good. Once again. Thank you. I know what goes on. I saw you coming up the walk. I was here all the time. Straining like a horse. Who is that woman? Mrs. Graydon is my housekeeper. Don't mind me. I won't say a word. Oh, well, that seems very good. Any stomach trouble? Eat what I like. Found her a dollar. I'll live to be a hundred. <laughs> I'll outlive her anyway. He thought she'd dance on my grave. Uh, now, they are. What for? Well, I, I want to take a look at your throat. Ah. Uh, hmm. Yes, yes, everything seems fine. Now, I'll just take your blood pressure if you'd like to roll up your sleeve. Always jealous of me, you know. Plain as a turnip, Pastor. Huh? Uh, Miss Jenny, do you mind rolling up your sleeve? That's enough, young man. There's nothing wrong with me. Very well, Miss Jenny. Mm -hmm. 
Think I don't know what you came for? Nice bit of gossip, that's all you were here for. You'd like to know, wouldn't you? Well, I'll tell you this much. It wasn't her he wanted. I was the beauty. Look at these bones. You can still see it, can't you? I'm sure you were an extremely handsome woman, Miss Jerry. Now, if I could just wash my hands. Oh, it's up the stairs. I'll be right back. Where's he off to? The doctor just wants to wash his hands, Miss Jenny. He'll be right down. He was a bit like that, Dr. Chuck. Who? Your young man? Ah, you'd like to know, wouldn't you? Never you mind. Yes, younger, of course. But there's something quiet. He was too quiet. That's what he couldn't stand about Esther. Always talk to your ear off, Esther. I used to watch him looking for light. Esther's mouth going a mile a minute. I just used to turn away. <laughs> that made her boil. What's he doing up there? Well, she was plain as a horse and not the front end either. <laughs> no. No, I was the one. I know things just as well as you or anybody. I'm sure you do, Miss Jenny. He's taking his time about it. Maybe he's got lost. Go up and get him. Go on. Oh, great, Miss Jenny. There's no need to push. Could have washed his hands in the sink. Bunch of gossipy old snoops poking and prying. Dr. McGregor? Dr. McGregor? Oh, I should have warned you. That, that That's the part of the house that shut up. Oh. The whole west wing. That's where old Mr. Schofield used to have his room. Well, I seem to be in a hall. But, but I tried the first switch I found. No light came on, so I realized I'd taken the wrong turn. Here, here just a minute while we're up here. Hold the door open a minute. Hmm? Yes, you, you can see down the hall in the light from the top of the stairs. Look at that dust. A wing can't be shut off, then. Oh, yes, it is. It's for years and years. Someone uses that room at the end. Well, you can see footprints in the dust. Never mind, they're after the light switch, but the others go right up to that room at the end of the hall, the one with the iron door. That must have been his room. The father, you know, where he kept all his money. Well, we'd better go down now, Doctor, or she'll have a fit. Yes. Hmm. I, uh, I wonder how recent they were, the, the, the footprints. Hard to tell in that light. Sweet time about it. I'm sorry, Miss Jenny. I took a wrong turn and ended up in the West Wing. West Wing's all closed off now. Yes, I realized as much when I kicked the light switch and no light came on. Light and heat shut off. Nobody uses that wing anymore. Nobody? We don't like people snooping around trying to find out things. Yes. Well, I'm afraid we'll have to be going, Miss Jenny. I'll keep you informed about your sister. She always thought I'd go first. Oh, I'm sure you're only to a ripe old age, Miss Jenny. Ripe old age, eh? So <laughs> what to Esther? Well. Odd. Odd? That's putting it mildly. Crackers are grabbing. No, I mean, she said no one ever used that West Wing, didn't she? Wait a minute. What? Look up there, Mrs. Bates. Where? That light, uh, up 
bill on the second floor. That's queer. That's in the west wing. Yes. Must be coming from that room at the end of the hall. I flicked the switch in the hall just once. Must have been the switch with the room. Yes, I flicked it only once, so, so the light is obviously still on. But Miss, Miss Jenny said all the lights were off in the west wing. Yes, she did, didn't she? <laughs> Mr. Schofield must be an extremely cautious man. Why? See the bars on the window? Someone broke the glass behind them, too. Oh, kids, probably. You know, shutting up the thing like this just makes kids worse. That's why they used to keep the feet locked. <laughs> Trespassers will be prosecuted. <sighs> From out here, you can't see that window at all. No. Walls are too high. <laughs> Mrs. Graydon, uh, hmm? what exactly was this this trouble you referred to? Uh, some man, I think, is it? Well, uh, he came here on business. After all, Mr. Schofield died. Mr. Schofield had a mine up at the island, didn't he? Yes. And after, this, this young fellow came along to help the Schofield girls settle up business matters. Mm. He stayed here at the house. That was when they had servants. How long did he stay? Well, of course, it was before my time. I, I don't know personally. But my old aunt says it was well, long enough to start people talking. Mm-hmm. You know how people gossip. You could see the Schofield girls were mad for him, all right. Well, they weren't exactly girls anymore, but and no one could tell which one it was he liked. Oh, he was courting one of them. He used to buy flowers down at Green's Market on Thursday and <laughs> take them up to the house. But one Sunday he'd take Miss Jenny to church. Next Sunday it would be Miss Esther. So I guess he was really just uh, playing both ends against the middle. <laughs> well, it must have been that because, because of what happened. Hmm? One day he up and disappeared. And they shut up the house. That's men for you. What was his name, Was it now, um, Fox in a Foxhole, something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really a curse to have a, what, what did you call it, a, a curious bell? Mm-hmm. Uh, you find yourself making up stories about people, covering reality, soft and quite dull, with a rainbow of imagination. For instance, 50 years ago, when they were still young enough to hope that Old enough to be afraid. Schofield sisters welcomed into their home a young man. He was a bachelor. He was presentable. They both fell in love with him. And he fell in love, too, with one of the sisters. There was Esther, who was practical. And Jenny, who was lovely. But men don't always fall in love with women who are lovely. A young man disappeared one day. Two women grow old in a house in which the sun never shines. Servants are sent away. Neighbors made unwelcome. Perhaps the young man didn't go away at all. Yes, if I must give my imagination free reign, I would say that the young man never left the Schofield house. I suppose it got him locked up in that room. Well, no, the other upstairs room windows are broken. But you couldn't keep someone living in a room for 15 years. No. Not living. Really, Dr. McGregor. Well, let us say you're an honorable young man. He decided to speak to the lady of his choice. But first, being an honorable young man, he informed the other sister of his intentions. Perhaps she loved him very much. Perhaps she felt she was the logical choice. Now, that's no fury, Mrs. Graydon. And so she asked him to go up to her father's room, say, to look over some papers, and there... When his back was turned. <laughs> yes, 
Good thing imagination doesn't influence reality. But how could she do it? She was, she was only a woman after all. A, a man did it so much oh, stronger. Oh, Mrs. Graydon, it's just a story. Of course, it is the problem. How could she do it? And how could she do it without anyone knowing? Well, the servants were sent away, remember, without any notice. Perhaps the other sister found out and never said anything for fear of the scandal. Now, here was an exercise in fancy. So, Jenny did take a long time coming to the door. And then, there were the footprints in the dust. Mrs. Graydon, your curious bone appears to be quite as macabre as my own. <laughs> There's probably a very reasonable explanation. But, she did say, I saw you coming up the walk. That window overlooks the front walk, doesn't it? Oh, goodness, I... I've got shivers up my spine. Yes. I've one or two myself. Nothing serious, is it? I, I hate it when telegrams come. Mm. I, I hope nothing's the matter. What? Oh, no, no, nothing's the matter. Well, his name was James Marshall Fox, and he never arrived back at the mine. Wrote and asked the Schofield mine about all that? James Marshall Fox, employed March 1908, December 
She didn't suffer. Are you sure? It was an easy passing. You don't fool me. Everybody suffers when they die. Did she know she was dying? Just for a moment, I think. The nurse said she asked for you. For me? Esther asked for me? She seemed to think you were ill. The nurse said she kept asking, where's Jenny? And then she said you were ill. She seemed to think you were in bed with pleurisy. Oh, Esther's dead. Mm. Don't go for a minute, young man. You've got nice eyes. He had nice eyes, too. You loved him very much, didn't you, Miss Jenny? He loved me, too, no matter what Esther said. But Esther said he loved her. Is that it? You listen to me. He never took to Esther. I know the flowers were for me. But I was in bed when they came and she took the note off. That was when I had pleurisy. There's nothing wrong with me now. A woman can tell. Esther thought I was dumb. As if that made any difference. He never cared for her. I was the beauty. Uh, after Mr. Fox went away, you closed up the west wind, didn't you? And sent the servants away? I've got the flowers here. In that drawer. They were roses. You can't tell now what they were. I hid them from her. But you couldn't hide everything from Esther, could you, Miss Jenny? She had to know why the West Wing was closed up. I know they were for me. I know they were. Miss Jenny. Oh, don't scare me like that, creeping up on me. Miss Jenny, haven't you heard a word I've been saying? Heard every word, every word. I can hear. I know what goes on. No. And you can't hear anything when you don't look at me. I should have realized. How long have you been reading lips, Miss Jenny? I can hear, I tell you. There's nothing wrong with me. Of course. You've always been deaf. Even as a child. That was why you said people always shouted at you. You could tell they were shouting from the way the muscles and the throat strained. Just as you can tell when I'm speaking loudly. Or Mrs. Gravy. And that was your secret. That was what you didn't want anyone to find out. But he loved me in spite of that. He didn't care about me being deaf. He told me so. That was all it was. Just that. That was why you shut up the house. Because you didn't want anyone to ever know. Oh, Miss Jenny. You know, I'm not a fool. Esther closed up the house. It wasn't me. She said we had to. There wasn't any more money. And she sent the servants away, too. Esther? I was sick when it happened, so I didn't have anything to say about it. And when I got better, he'd gone. Miss Jenny. You've got nice eyes, young man. He had nice eyes, too. Why did he leave me? I... I don't think he wanted to, Miss Jenny. But he never said goodbye. He just went away. You'll come back and see me sometimes, won't you? I don't want the others. They always made fun of me and called me dummy. Yes, Miss Jenny. I'll come and visit with you. As often as you like. Will you? I promise. What's your name, young man? Brian. 
Brian Duncan McGregor. This was James. James Marshall Park. Miss Jenny, you were the one he loved. Was I? Truly? Truly. You were the one, Miss Jenny. I've known all along it was Miss Esther. But even tonight, when I saw the light still on in that upstairs room, I, I couldn't understand what it meant. The light was still on? I don't see what you mean. She opened the door immediately, tonight, And yet the light was on in that upstairs room. That means it must have been on since we were there the other night. Now, if Miss Jenny had known about the light in that room, remember I told you I'd take the switch in the hall only once, mm -hmm. she would have made sure it was turned off. That night after we left. No, Miss Jenny really believes that the west wing is completely closed and that the lights have been turned off. But she took so long to open the door the other night. Don't you remember? She said she'd seen it coming up the hall. From a downstairs window as easy as from one upstairs. And she simply hadn't chosen to open the door at all. Of course, that should have told me immediately she was deaf. That she'd seen us coming, not heard us knocking. I don't know how I missed it. You saw yourself. Sometimes she would answer a question directly. Other times when she was looking away, she... Wouldn't seem to hear at all. I put it down to age. But I don't see why her being deaf should make any difference. Well, don't you understand it? Explains how it was done. It explains how one sister could kill him without the other sister knowing it. First of all, Miss Jenny was sick in bed with pleurisy. Secondly, she couldn't hear anything. I expect Miss Esther sent the servants away before she invited Mr. Fox up to her father's room. The footprints we saw in the hall were Miss Esther's. She must have visited the room regularly up to the time she went into the hospital. The dust is filling them in now. But Miss Esther was always so squeamishy. She couldn't stand the sight of blood. Oh, she couldn't kill anyone. She didn't. She simply locked him in. That explains the broken glass from the window. Locked the door? But, but he would have screamed. Yes, he would have screamed. For days. Even for weeks. But who was that at here? No one. Except, of course, Miss Esther. Do you, do you think he's still up there? Yes, I had to go for trying to find out. There must be a key to somewhere in the house. But I... I changed my mind. What good would it do now? The light in the room is out. I went up to the hall and turned it off before I left. Someday we'll know, for certain. Until then, let's pretend it was all a story. Just the fancy of a curious bone. Dr. McGregor and the Case of the Curious Bone, a play by Betty Lambert. And now we have the Vicks Matinee Theater and their rendition of My Favorite Wife. Enjoy, everyone. Vicks Matinee Theater. Vicks Matinee Theater presented by the makers of Vic's Patronol, brings you My Favorite Wife, starring Victor Jory as Nick Arden and supported by Betty Winkler as Ellen and Martha Sleeper as Bianca. You know, more and more millions of people are using Vic's Patronol nose drops to relieve distress of head colds. Benefit by their experience. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Today, from the stage of the Matinee Theater, Vix brings you one of the most amusing love stories ever told. Leo McCary's delightful comedy romance, My Favorite Wife. As the curtain rises, we are in the Los Angeles County Court of General Sessions. Judge Walter Bryson presiding. Good morning, Your Honor. Good morning. It would be very kind of you if you Just could, a uh... moment. Clerk, wasn't I supposed to marry someone? Why, uh, yes. Yes, Your Honor. Well, let's get it over with. If you'll pardon me just a moment, Your Honor, I'm Nick Arden. The Arden case is a very complicated case. It can wait for the wedding, can't it? Not very well, Your Honor. Very well, Mr. Arden. I don't see anyone around waiting to get married anyhow. Now, Mr. Arden, as I understand that your wife, Ellen Wagstaff Arden, was a member of an anthropological expedition shipwrecked off the coast of, uh, Indo China. Is that right, Mr. Arden? That's right. Uh, what was she doing on an expedition? You'll find the circumstances set forth in my brief, sir. Oh, let's see. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, said Ellen Wagstaff Arden was engaged as photographer for a period of three months. Uh, you see, in the first place, we were going to take the trip together, but, well, I became involved in the case. Well, let me I... read the brief, Mr. Arden. Yes, you're on. Now, stop interrupting. Yes. Ellen Wagstaff Arden was last seen entering one of the lifeboats when the wave... Oh, that's, that's very sad, very sad. What efforts did you make to trace the whereabouts of your wife? On page eight. I went to Bangkok and interviewed the, all the available survivors who agreed that said Ellen Wagstaff Arden had been swept overboard, overboard before aid could reach her deposition appendix. What? Yes, Your Honor. The testimony is here, sworn affidavits. No evidence to the contrary. The law is clear. I hereby pronounce Ellen Wagstaff Arden legally dead. Now then, wasn't I supposed to marry somebody? Yes, sir. Uh, me. Uh, just a minute, I'll call Bianca. She's right outside. Uh, come in, dear. Are you going to marry again? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Are you quite sure you've had time to think it over? Your Honor, Mr. Arden is over 21. No, now, Bianca. All right, hold hands. Take it easy. It's not as bad as all that. I just can't believe it. How's Nicky? Nicky? Yes. You know, your son, my husband. Oh, he's fine. Where have you been, Ellen? Latitude 12, longitude 128. And I'd still be there if a Portuguese freighter hadn't wandered two miles off its course. Where's Nicky? Well, uh, Ellen, sit down and I'll tell you. Married? When? How? Where is he? Sit down, and I'll tell you. Now, my name is Arden, Nicholas Arden. I have a reservation. Oh, yes, sir. Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas Arden. The bridal suite. Yes. Front, boy. I certainly feel dusty after all that drive. A bath will feel wonderful. Uh, Mr. Arden, may I speak to you privately for a moment? Oh, of course. Uh, excuse me, Bianca. Did you want a bellhop, sir? Just a moment, boy. I want you to take Mr. and Mrs. Arden to Suite B. I'll go on up to the room, darling. All right, I'll be right up. Mr. Arden, there's a lady waiting to see you in Suite A. Uh, a lady? I think you'd better go up for a moment, sir. She says her name is Mrs. Arden. Mrs. Arden? Mrs. Arden! <laughs> Ellen. Nick. Darling. Darling. 
I've waited a long time for that kiss. It was just as beautiful as I thought it would be. When did you get back? This morning. I want all the details. How you got back where you've been. <laughs> Lord, you look wonderful. Where have you been? On an island in the South Pacific. I'll give you the details, but it'll take time. How did you know I was here? Ma told me. Nick, what are you going to do about Bianca? Oh, I'm, I'm just... Uh, Bianca? Uh-huh. Heavens, I forgot all about Bianca. Oh, this isn't going to be easy. Bianca's very sensitive. She's, she's, uh, she's high strung. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Uh, yes? Uh, what do you want? Mr. Arden, we run a first-class hotel, and yes. we don't like to be made a party to an intrigue. We've maintained a reputation for respectability for 30 years, and we don't intend to lose it in one night. Oh. Uh, but it's really a very simple situation, Mr. Rumeclerc. Explain it to him, Nick. Explain it to him? Oh, uh-huh. Of course I will. I, um, that is, I'll, I'll try. Uh, see, I came up here with my wife. My, my bride, really. Uh, now my wife. Not my bride. Uh, <laughs> Oh, why should I bore you with the details? I won't be bored. <laughs> well, um... Mr. Arden, one wife is all the law or the hotel allows. One of them will have to leave. <laughs> Look, Nick, darling, it's really very simple. I'll go home, and then you go tell Bianca what's happened, and then you come home. That sounds simple to you, doesn't it? Oh, very simple. Mm. Is that satisfactory with the hotel? Very satisfactory. Well, then, it's all settled. Go ahead, darling. Uh, right now? Right, right now. now. Oh, well, all right. Hey, Ma, is anybody home? Come on in, Bianca. Ma, he's brought her home. He couldn't have told her then. Ma! In the living room, dear. What an awkward situation. Yes, isn't it? Listen, Ma, I'll be a visitor from the South. Uh, in the living room, Nicky, darling. Uh, uh, hello. Hello, Mother Arden. Hello, Bianca. Did you have a nice time? No. We drove all night. Hi, Nicholas, honey. You all won't mind if I kiss the bridegroom, will you, honey? Uh, not at all. Just one big sisterly kiss. That uh, sisterly kiss is kind of getting away from you, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that was just as nice as ever, honey. What a shame she had to stop her. Kill you again. I, I don't believe I've met this lady. She, uh, she's visiting with us. Her mother and I went to school in Virginia. I feel just as though she's my own daughter. Mm, how nice. Isn't he just the sweetest thing you ever saw? I used just to doe him. He was the darlingest boy you ever did see. But faithless? Just like a bumblebee going from flower to flower. I warn you, I've had about enough. <laughs> so have I. Nick, I'm very tired. Do you think we might excuse ourselves until morning? Uh, of course, Bianca. I'll take you up to your room, Bianca. You do that, Ma. I'll be right up, Bianca. My, I hope so, Nick. Why didn't you tell her at the hotel, Nick? Well, I kept building up to it, but I couldn't seem to get there. Well, you better tell her now or forget about telling her entirely. Fun's fun, but it's stopped being fun now. Okay, okay. Give me a kiss, darling. All right, Casanova. (laughs) Now, Bianca, stop crying and listen to me. I've got to talk to you. Do you love me, Nick, or don't you? In the name of heaven, 
tell me what's, what's wrong with Bianca, me. Bianca, there's nothing wrong with you. Now, believe me, under other circumstances, you... Bianca, please stop crying. Let me explain. We've been married for two days, and you haven't so much as kissed me since we left the altar. If you just keep still and listen, that's better. Now, now I, uh, I, I, well, well, I, uh, doorbell. That's for me. I'll be right back. Nick, 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 come back here. There's someone else answering the phone. I'll answer it, Ma. Mr. Arden? Yeah? I'm Johnson of the American Life and Accident Insurance. Well, come right in, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Thank you. Come in and sit down. I'm glad to see you, Mr. Johnson. Uh, you are? Well, that doesn't happen very frequently. Uh, you comfortable? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Well, uh, have a cigarette. <laughs> Let me get you a drink. Why, thank you. What can I do for you, Mr. Johnson? Uh, here's a drink. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Arden, have you received any communication from your first wife, Ellen Wagstaff, Arden? Well, I... <clears throat> what are you um, driving at? Well, our district manager, Mr. Pusey, uh, claims to have a report that a woman answering the general description of your first wife was rescued by a Portuguese freighter, as was also a man named Stephen Burkett who was reported drowned at the same time. A man named who was picked up with whom? W would you mind saying that again? Oh, don't let yourself get upset about it. If you knew Mr. Pusey like the rest of us... Did you, you say a man named Stephen Burkett was rescued at the same time as my wife? Well, according to this completely unverified rumor, they were on that island for seven years together. What? What? <laughs> That's the rumor. <laughs> Ridiculous, isn't it? What else did your Mr... <laughs> your Mr... Pusey here. Well, not very much, really. He talked to someone who had talked to a Portuguese captain. He says the woman called the man Adam. Adam? Adam. That's right. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Isn't that a delightful fancy? Yeah, that's just delightful. Uh, you ought to be very grateful that it is only a fancy, because aside from the money involved, can you imagine the pickle you'd be in if it weren't? Hmm. Adam and Eve, huh? Of course, even if it were true, that angle wouldn't bother you. It's easy to see you're not a jealous man, Mr. Arden. Oh, but you're mistaken, Mr. Johnson. I'm a very jealous man. I never guess it to look at you. <laughs> well, Mr. Arden, since you have no news for me, I really must be running along. Good night, Mr. Arden. Good night, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Don't you know it isn't polite to bang doors? How can a lady get any sleep? Why didn't you tell me you weren't alone on that island? You didn't ask me. Why do you so dissemble and deceive? I just had a session with the insurance investigator. How am I going to look when this story comes out? My wife and that man alone on an island for seven years. Well, we didn't arrange it, Nick. It just happened. I'll bet it did. Why didn't you tell me about him? Because I knew you'd carry on exactly the way you're carrying on now. That's no excuse. I wanted to pick the right time to tell you. There never will be a right time. Seven years, huh? Seven years. Oh, get that look out of your eye. The poor fellow broke his leg trying to drag our boat through the surf. He, he was laid up for six months. Oh, yeah? Well, that still leaves six and a half years. <laughs> You know, Nick Arden, that it just occurs to me that I ought to feel insulted. I go through seven years of agony. I come home to find my husband in the arms of another woman, married. And all my husband can think about is, did I carry on with some poor man who... 
who wouldn't hurt a fly. Now, just a moment. Now, stop right there. You just a moment yourself. Did you tell her? Did I tell... Uh, huh? Huh? Did you? Well, I was about to tell her when the insurance investigator came. How long does it take to tell a woman my wife's come back? Look, I can say it in two seconds. My wife's come back. You've had two days. Oh, Nick. Now, now, don't you start yowling, too. <laughs> you just don't want to tell her. That's why you're picking on poor Adam. Any excuse will do. Where is he now? Who? You know who I'm talking about. Oh, Adam? Yes, Adam. Poor Adam. <laughs> poor, gentle, harmless Adam. He lives at the, um, YMCA. He lives at the, the YMCA? Mm-hmm. He always lives at the YMCA. He's a clean, living, upright, 100% American and a gentleman. Is there anything more you'd like to know? Yes. When do I meet him? When do you tell her? I don't like your attitude. I don't like your attitude about this whole thing. Good night, Ellen. Good night, Nick. Nick, Nick, where are you going now? Oh, for heaven's sake, you now, Bianca. You're worse than a bloodhound. I'm going to the YMCA. Good night. In just a moment, act two of my favorite wife, Starring Victor Jory. Friends, a neglected head cold can make you feel pretty miserable. Sniffles, sneezes, your head all stuffed up. Well, I want to tell you of a simple way to quickly relieve such head cold distress. All you do is put a few drops of Vicks Vatronol in each nostril. It's really remarkable how a little of this specialized medication brings grand relief in short order. Instantly... Vatronol starts to work right where trouble is to soothe sniffly, sneezy irritation and help clear stuffiness. And because it makes breathing easier by reducing nasal congestion, many people find Vatronol especially beneficial at night when a head cold often makes breathing so difficult it's hard to get to sleep. So for head cold distress, friends, try Vatronol. You'll like the way it brings such prompt relief. You'll learn why thousands of people always keep a bottle of Vatronol handy, ready for instant use when a head cold strikes. Follow directions in the package. Vicks Vatronol Nose Drops. The curtain rises on the second act at Vicks Matinee Theater, starring Victor Jory in My Favorite Wife. As our scene opens, it's the following morning in Nick Arden's office. Miss Ross? Yes, sir? I want you to find a Stephen Burkett. Drop everything else. It's very important. I've called all the hotels. Now you try the country clubs, the men's clubs. The athletic clubs, the YMCA? Not the YMCA. I spent the night there. They never heard of him. I'll get right to work on it, Mr. Arden. <laughs> I found him, Mr. Arden. I found him. You did? Good. I happened to go to the Pacific Club for lunch. Yes? We had a table right by the windows that opened out on the swimming pool, and someone pointed him out to me. Pointed him out to you, huh? A pretty old duffer, isn't he? Sort of a Casper milk toast? An old duffer? Oh, I should say not. No? In a bathing suit, he's a combination of Johnny Weissmuller, Ronald Coleman, and Cary Grant. 
If you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Get my house on the phone. Ask my mother to have Ellen meet me at the Pacific Club for dinner. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Oh, uh, do you want a table by the pool? By the pool? Why not? By all means, a table by the pool. Beautiful club, Nick. It's new, isn't it? Yes, it is. How nice to have the tables looking on the swimming pool. I should think they'd uh, light it up or something. I guess nobody swims at night. Um, Nick, why did you get a table for three? I'm expecting a guest. He'll be here any moment. I don't quite like the glint in your eye. Eve, darling! Oh, Oh, Stephen. How do you do, Mr. Burkett? I'm Mr. Arden. How do you do, Arden? Sit down, sit down. We were waiting for you. You look wonderful, Eve. But you look better on the island. Well, you <laughs> must admit the clothes are an improvement. What? <laughs> I mean, well, after all, I didn't have many changes. You I, did... May I, I take mean... your order, please? <laughs> no, what will you have, Mr. Burkett? A raw steak? No, 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 never touch it. I'm strictly a vegetarian. Uh, bring me a glass of carrot juice, a milkshake, and some raw carrots. Two steaks and anything that goes with them. Yes, sir. Eve, you hear what they're playing? Mm-hmm. Music, isn't it? Yeah. The name of it, Ellen, is South Sea Island Magic. Uh-huh. Isn't it a coincidence that they should play that too? Yeah. <laughs> Doggone funny one. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Nick is married again. What? Why, that's wonderful. That makes everything perfect. Congratulations, old boy. <laughs> now I can tell you that I'd like to marry Eve. Oh, you would, would you? Nick, people are looking at us. You think you're going to marry her? You're full of carrots. <laughs> you're not allowed to have two wives, you know. How long were you married to Ellen before the island? Four years. What's it to you? <laughs> well, I was with her for seven, so I claim her on the basis of seniority. <laughs> Got you there. You've got me. You've got nothing but a lot of... If car- you gentlemen will excuse me, I think maybe you could settle this thing better without me. Now, now don't a... get up. It might surprise you to know that I can get along very well without either one of you. I'm perfectly able to take care of myself. Good night. Uh, Ellen, not that way. That's the way to the swimming pool. Ellen! Come on, it's dark out there. She's too mad to see where she's going. She won't even know the pool's there. <laughs> Nick Stephen! She knows it's there now. <laughs> coming, Eve, Coming! You wait here in the car, Carrots, Burkett, uh, while I go in and... Uh, while I go in and get us some clothes. Now, really, wasn't it a little ridiculous making me come along? I could have stayed and had a nice visit with Ellen while you got her clothes. You've had enough visiting with Ellen. You have a suspicious nature, old boy. You want to watch that. I'll take care of my nature and you take care of yours. I'll be right back. You, Hello, Bianca. I can't stop just now. I've got a friend who fell in a swimming pool. I've got to get some clothes for him. Oh, but, Nick, Nick, I have to talk to you. After all, you should show me some consideration. I will, Bianca, a little later. I have to go upstairs and get the clothes. I'll go with you. Nick, I called our family doctor about us. He says there are hundreds of similar cases. Not like this one. Well, all I can say is you'll certainly make me feel like a failure as a wife. And I, 
I haven't even had the, the chance to fail. Uh, let's see. There ought to be something in here. Yeah, here's one. Nick, Nick, that's a dress you're taking. I told you. It was for a friend of mine. He's waiting downstairs. Uh, let's see now. Hat, coat, dress, shoes. I guess that's all. See you later, Bianca. Nick, you aren't even listening to I'm me. Sorry, I will some other time, Bianca. Oh, Nick. Look here, Bianca. I wish you wouldn't follow me up and downstairs. It makes me nervous. What do you want? Can a man come into his own home without being spied on? I'm only trying to help you, dear. Well, wouldn't you like to lie down for a while? Are you crazy, Bianca? Well, the doctor said you need rest. I don't need rest. I need a little peace. Well, what's, what's wrong with There's you? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm trying to tell you, Bianca, I'm married. Of, of course you are, dear. Now, look, my wife's not dead. She didn't drown the shipwreck. She fell in the pool tonight. I'm getting her some clothes. Now, that's carrots honking. I've got to go. Nick! Nick, Wait! Wait! Oh, goodness, isn't it clear to you? Do I have to draw your diagram? Listen, she came to the hotel. You remember the honeymoon. Darling, you do need a rest. Now, who's that? Mr. Arden? Good heavens. A policeman. Now, what do you want? Are you Nicholas Arden? Yes. I got a warrant for your arrest. A uh, arrest? Arrest? You can't arrest me. What's the charge? Bigamy. B-b-bigamy? Yeah, b-bigamy. <laughs> now do you believe me? No, I don't want you to Quiet, quiet, quiet. I can't hear myself sing. If your honor, please. I don't know what you're doing in my court, Mr. Arden. In the first place, bigamy is a criminal offense. All you people are cluttering up this court, and you don't belong here. Yes, I know, Your Honor, but I'm out on bail. What kind of a lawyer are you? Where did you go to school? Ah, Harvard. Uh-huh. I'm a Yale man myself. Uh, are you the bride? Yes, Your Honor. Kissless? Yes, Your Honor. <clears throat> Harvard man. Well, let me see who's here. Nicholas Arden, Bianca Arden, Ellen Wagstaff Arden. Yes. Well, I've looked over the papers on your case, Mr. Arden. I see nothing wrong with my decision. The evidence is all here. What do you want me to do, reverse myself? Well, yes, in a manner of speaking. Then you go to the Court of Appeals. They're always reversing me anyway. This is your decision, Your Honor. You declared my wife, Ellen, legally dead in this very courtroom. Your decision is on file. Well, I'm going to declare her legally alive. Uh You can't do that, Your Honor. If she's legally alive, I'm guilty of bigamy. Besides, if she's legally dead, she she, she can't marry Burkett. Burkett? Burkett? Who's Burkett? What does he have to do with this case? Well, he was on an island with her, Your Honor. He's not important to the case. I'll decide what's important to the case. What island? The island where my wife stayed for seven years. Seven years, eh? Alone? Is that in the brief? Uh, no, Your Honor. Oh, that should be in the brief. That's the most interesting part of the case. (laughs) Wait until my wife hears about this. Thinks all my cases are dull. Uh, yes, yes, well, uh, well, it seems to me the thing for me to do is to annul the second marriage. Your Honor, I just want to tell you what this man's done to me from the moment he first married me. Now, never mind that. He is the most nasty, double-crossing, unreliable, deceiving... Quiet, quiet. lying, ill-tempered, low-down, mangy, no good... Careful now. ...that has ever been my misfortune to marry. Quiet. 
That will cost you ten dollars. ten dollars and it was worth it. And as far as I'm concerned, Nick Gordon, you're legally dead. Hmm. Quick-tempered woman. Have to watch out for her kind. Well, now then, I have a pretty clear idea of the picture. This is our procedure. We file an annulment and we declare Alan Wagstaff Arden legally alive. And we adjourn for the day. Oh, wait a minute. What, 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 what about the marriage? What marriage? Ellen and I, we, we want to get married. You are married. Didn't I just tell you? Well, what do you want to do? Make it as hard as you can for me? We annul the second marriage and the first one stands. Is that all right with everybody? It's all right with me. Well, I don't know whether it's all right with me or not. Seems to me I'm being pushed around quite a lot here. Uh, young woman, I am considered a very patient man, but the case of Arden versus Carter Arden versus Wagstaff Arden has me completely at the end of my patience. Now, either you take him in hand or I'm going to commit him to an institution. He's a very confusing man to let run around loose. Ah, oh, the judge, he's so cute when he's confused. And he likes to collect wives, you know, the way some people collect stamps. I uh, do man not. Man can get in a lot of trouble collecting wives. Man can get into a lot of trouble with one just like her. Ah, <laughs> go on. You know I'm your favorite wife. Look, will you two go home so I can close court? I'm not as young as I used to be. I get tired about this time of day. Go ahead. Kiss and make up so I can close the court in peace. It's going to be all right, isn't it, Ellen? No more Burkett? No more Bianca? No more. Okay, Mr. Arden, from now on, just Ellen and Nick. Oh, sweetheart. My dearest. My dearest. I've been waiting so long for that. And I've been waiting so long for you. Court's adjourned. Let's go home. Darling. Dearest. Court's adjourned. Let's go home. Darling. Dearest. Oh, please, folks. Court's adjourned. Let's go home. In just a moment, Victor Jory will tell you about next week's production at Vic's Matinee Theater. Friends, remember the epidemic of colds that started about this time last year? Well, to be sure, it may not happen again this year. But nevertheless, this is the time to watch out for colds. Do all you can to guard against infection. Avoid people who have colds. Get plenty of rest and sleep. And if you suddenly start sniffling and sneezing... Just put a few drops of Vicks Vatronol in each nostril. Vatronol is a specialized medication. A double-duty nose drop that quickly goes to work right where most colds start. It not only relieves the sneezy irritation and stuffiness, but actually helps prevent many colds from developing if used in time. Just try it, friends. And always keep a bottle of Vatronol handy, ready to use at the first sign of a head cold. Follow the simple directions in the package. Vicks Vatronol Nose Drops. This is Victor Jory. We have received numerous requests for such plays as Love Affair, Scarlet Pimpernel, Penny Serenade, Rebecca, Jane Eyre, and others. It is our desire to bring these and other fine plays to you as soon as possible. What would you like to hear? 
Write me in care of Vic's Matinee Theater, Columbia Broadcasting, 22, New York. Next week's request play will be based on Martha Cheever's great story, Penny Serenade. It's the story of two people who found each other at a moment when it seemed that life had torn them irrevocably apart. It is a heartwarming and beautiful tale, and I know you won't want to miss it. Our play was written by Gene Holloway from the Leo McCary RKO production and was directed by Richard Sandville. RKO is currently showing the stirring and revealing picture against Nazism, The Master Race, at your local theater. Music for this series is under the direction of Mark Warno. Be sure to listen next week when the Vicks Matinee Theater presents Penny Serenade, starring Victor Jory. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. At this point, Monica would be telling you about her giant Sunday that she would be building in order to place that strawberry on top of it because she hates maraschino cherries. Personally, I like cherries. They're tasty. They can be sweet. They can be sour. But, of course, we have to observe Monica's tradition and stick a strawberry on the Sunday. So, with that, the strawberry for this week is... Damon Runyon Theater and Little Miss Marker. Enjoy it, everybody. The Damon Runyon Theater. Once again, the Damon Runyon Theater brings you another story by the master of storytellers, Damon Runyon. And this, one of his most famous, Little Miss Marker. And to tell it to you, here is Broadway. Thanks. This is Broadway speaking. Maybe you know a guy we call Sorrowful Jones. He makes a living by making book. <laughs> that is to say, he is slightly illegal because he takes bets on the horses if one is not able to get to the track due to circumstances. Most of the guys and dolls along Broadway tell you that Sorrowful is a rich man. That is true. It is true because Sorrowful not only remembers the first nickel he makes as a boy, but the same nickel is still in his possession. All at once, Sorrowful is a changed man. And how it happens that Sorrowful is changed is quite a story, which I will tell you in a minute. <laughs> The Damon Runyon Theater and Little Miss Marker. As I am saying, Sorrowful Jones is a character who is not liked. He gets his name from the fact that anything like a smile is a stranger to his long face. Well, as it happens, I am sitting in Mindy's one night along with a citizen named Regret who is a horse player. We are discussing Sorrowful Jones when Regret looks up and says, And if you are speaking of the devil... You may look toward the door and see same. Sorrowful Jones coming into Mindy's? There must be a catastrophe outside which drives him in. Look. 
He's got a doll with him. A doll? But a midget one. Oh, it is no midget. This is a small doll, a child. He's coming over. And the chances are better than a million to one that he will have a sad story. About the little doll? About anything. Hello, Broadway. Hello, Sorrowful. Hello, Regret. Hiya, Sorrowful. Is this seat taken? Uh, no, Sorrowful. I'll take it. Are you driven from your home, Sorrowful? No. Uh, maybe you are out this late collecting bets? No. You are hungry? No. Uh, Sorrowful, who is that with you? This is a child, a small one. Yours? I do not own her. She is very cute, Sorrowful. I haven't looked much at her. What are you doing with her? I figure maybe she's hungry. She's been in my place all day since early this morning. Hey, what is a small dolly? Uh, my experience has been with the larger variety. But if this one runs to the phone, she will eat quite a lot. That'll be expensive. I'm always the fall guy. Why do I have all the bad luck? <laughs> please, please, don't laugh, Regret. I have a very bad day today. Look, uh, Sorrowful, maybe if you tell us where this here doll comes from and what you are doing with her... It's a story, a sad one. Uh-huh. This morning, a character comes into my place of business, wants to play a deuce on a horse. He doesn't have a deuce, but wants to give me a marker, so I'll put a bet on the horse for him. You? You? You trusted somebody? Uh, this character tells me he'll leave his kid. This one. As security for his bet. He says he'll come back with a two-spot later. And so? His horse loses. I am out two dollars. Who is this character? I don't know. I never seen him before in my life. But I figure no guy will leave his kid and not come back. I figure wrong. Oh. Does any of you wish a small doll? I cannot use one. It looks like you are stuck, Sarva. Yeah. She's probably very hungry and will cost me a fortune. Oh, I do not see how such a small doll could eat that much. How do I know? Talk to her. Why? Uh, wait a minute. Uh, hello, doll. Uh, let me try. <clears throat> Good evening, doll. Like I say, I'm out two dollars. Maybe I should leave the doll here on the chair, huh? Maybe somebody will call for her. Please, I, I want to go home. I'm sleepy. Awful sleepy. Maybe because it is after 2 a.m. Hey, she is going to sleep. On your shoulder, Sorrowful. I cannot believe it. A doll putting her head on his shoulder? Hey, she's kind of cute with them blonde curls. Hey, look, doll. Doll, you, you, you can't go to sleep on my shoulder. I never see a doll as cute as her. Look at that. She's snuggling up to you, Sorrowful. Yeah, it's the way these dolls always start. Soft soap first and then the bite. Oh, no. You are wrong, Sorrowful. This doll is too young to be that smart. Now, I can tell how old the horse is by looking at his teeth. Maybe if I looked at this doll's teeth... Regret, keep your hands off her. Huh? Sorrowful, all I want is not a horse. I, uh... Anyway, she's... She's sleepy. If she sleeps, she don't eat, and it don't cost me a fortune. You know, Sorrowful, I think she likes you. <laughs> What's wrong? Somebody should like me. It is somewhat unusual. Yeah? This kid's the first character that doesn't try to nudge me out of a fin or a ten spot. All she wants to do is sleep. Maybe I like her, too. Anything wrong with that? Nobody said there is, Sorrowful. Look, uh, uh, what are you going to do, Sorrowful? I don't know, Broadway. It's a sin she can't sleep here. It is also a sense that you can't take her back to that joint you live in. It, it, it's only one little room. And, and there is quite a bit of noise from the, 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 the clubs along the street. Yeah. 
Maybe you're right. Okay, I'll find a place. How do I get off this chair without waking up the doll? Get up easy. Slow. Like you're reaching for a check, which you never do. Wise guy. Grab hold of it tight, Sargon. Yeah. Gee. She doesn't weigh as much as a herring. <laughs> Shut up. First guy wakes her up as the guy I slug. And as for reaching for the checks, you guys can be wrong. Give them to me. Sorrowful. I gotta go get a taxi. Good night. A taxi, he says. A taxi. I cannot pinch myself to see if I am dreaming because I cannot move. Well, that is that. Sorrowful walks out of Mindy's carrying the small doll and we do not see him for three days. Until we get a message from him that says to come to a 59th Street address. We are all wondering about this because the address is a classy one overlooking Central Park. And there's no place that Sorrowful would hang around in. But we all show up in the apartment. Regret, Big Sam, Little Mitzi, Harry the Horse, and several other citizens. It is maybe 8 o'clock at night and Sorrowful has not come in yet. We are wondering about this when a door opens and there stands Sorrowful. But what a Sorrowful. He is wearing a new suit. Now, now that is something in itself. Because nobody has ever seen Sorrowful in anything but the blue sage he picks up at a rummage sale years before. What's more, he is smiling. And it makes his long face look a little like a horse. But it is a smile. He walks over to us and begins the conversation as follows. Good evening, boys. Hi. Well, how do you like the place? Oh, it's a very classy place, Sorrowful. You are, uh, keeping it for a friend, perhaps? This is my place, Broadway, and it costs plenty of fish a month. I have a long-term lease. From here, you can see the park. And you can hear the handsome cabs. You know there are real horses in that park? No jockeys, though. But now I want to show you guys something. Okay, doll, come in. Look, it's the... Boys... Meet the doll. Hey, she is the small doll you bring into Mindy's the other night. That is correct, Broadway. You mean you still got her? That is also correct, Regret. But Sorrowful, she don't belong to you. Who says she don't? Well, who says so? Well, look, uh, Sorrowful, maybe the, the, the character who left the witcher will show up. That character whilst on a bet. And he leaves the doll as a marker. I keep the doll. But uh, what if he comes back? Shut up, Regret. Now... Marky dance for you, Sorrowful. Not right away, honey. We'll keep that for a surprise, huh? You sit on my lap. Come on, doll. All right, Sorrowful. Up you come, baby. <laughs> Look at this doll, you guys. I never see a doll like this before. And she don't ask for nothing. Not a thing. Never puts the bite on me. I never know there's a doll like this any place. Well, she is a cute doll, Sorrowful, but... Uh... Why are we here? Because I know nothing about a doll this size, and I figure I'm going to need help. From from us? From you, Harry. But... No but... buts. Today you lose 50 bucks on a parlor. You got the 50? Well, sorrowful, yeah, I... have not I... got it. All right. We'll forget the 50. You are going to forget a 50? That's correct. Regret the same as I will forget the C-note for which you are on my books. Well, 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 the same I... goes for all of you. Broadway. Uh, yeah, sorry. You know around town pretty much. You ought to pick out a nurse, a housekeeper, a good one. Where am I to find such a character? You'll look. Harry, you will put your attention right here. You'll go out and buy clothes, lots of them. 
With my money? I will open charge accounts at the stores. Now, if anybody does not want to help, then I will see to it that outstanding debts owed to me by some citizens are collected the hard way. We will help you, Sorrowful. After all, she is a cute little doll. Yeah, she is. Marky. Yes, Sorrowful? Tell him the story you told me this morning, huh? Which one, Sorrowful? Any of them, honey. Go ahead. Will they listen to me? They'll listen to you, Marky. Go ahead. All right, Sorrowful. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water... Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. How do you like that, huh? Yeah. This kid knows more about literature than all of us put together. Marky, dance for you now, Sorrowful. Oh, you sure will, honey. Uh, Sorrowful, I got an engagement. That's right, Harry, right here. Go ahead and dance, Marky. Regret, switch on that radio. Okay, Sorrowful. You watch Marky now, Sorrowful. You bet, honey. Go ahead. Personally, I prefer to show at the hot box. The uh, dolls are a little larger. Shut up and watch. Well, we watch Marky dance. We listen to her tell story until 3 a.m. Sorrowful never gets tired, and he never stops smiling. It is easy to see he has taken, but good. And it goes on like that for days. And it is wonderful what the various citizens say about the change in Sorrowful. It is even said that he is good for a touch now and then. Uh, provided the touch is not of too generous proportions. Well... One night, several of us are sitting in the hot box, listening to the music and watching the guys and dolls, when something happens, as follows. How come you don't bring Marky along, Sorrowful? The housekeeper says it's bad to keep her out until 2 a.m. every night. Oh, I do not believe that. Look at me. Look at regret. Nevertheless, she's in bed where she belongs. Besides, it's snowing outside. It's cold. Yeah. Ah, she sure is a cute little doll. Mm -hmm. You are a lucky man, Sourful, to have such a ready-made family. Yeah, I... What's the matter? I gotta get out of here. What's eating you, Sourful? Look, coming in the door. That is Milkier Willie. He looks mad. He is mad. Today we have a slight argument over a parlay bet. He claims he wins. Milkier Willie is no citizen with whom to have an argument. Look, I'm leaving by the back way. You don't know where I am, see? Okay, Sourful. I cannot see him till he cools off somewhat. I'll I'll go and... Go ahead. It's too late. There are some of Milky's boys at the bank. Uh-oh. He sees you. Sit tight. Hello, Sorrowful. Hello, Milky. Broadway, how are you? Never wasted my life. It's too bad. Regret how the horses. Oh, the ones I pick have three legs only. Funny thing is, I pick a good parlay bet today. Don't I, Sorrowful? You do not have a parlay bet today. There is some doubt between us. I think we will clear that up. I will sit down. What do you want? You, Sorrowful. Now look, Milky. Get up and start moving to the door, just like nothing is happening. Milky, you can't. Broadway, I like you, so I will thank you to stay out of this little argument. All right, Sorrowful, on your feet. We are going for a ride. It is snowing outside. It is not a good night for a ride. Sorrowful will not worry about the weather. All right, I said on your feet and move out ahead of me now. All right, Milky. 
But there are witnesses. They will not talk, will you, boys? It's like I say. They will not talk. Get moving, sorrowful. That's it. Stay right in front of me and smile. So they move away from us. And I figure that this is the last time we will see sorrowful. But then something happens which alters things slightly more than somewhat. And I will tell you about that in a minute. And now back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, Little Miss Marker. Milkier and Sorrowful move away from us, and we think this is the end. But they are not more than three steps away when something happens as follows. Sorrowful. Sorrowful. Marky. Marky, beat it. Get out of here. No. You left me his own, Sorrowful. Look, honey, you shouldn't come out. You got only your nightgown on. I miss you, Sorrowful. Sorrowful, get this Look, kid Marky, away. Marky, I don't know how you got out, but you go back. You want to stay with Sorrow. I got a good notion to let you have it, kid or no kid. Take it easy, Milk here. If anything happens to this kid, so help me, I'll break in too. This ain't your kid. Yeah, it's my kid. Marky loves Sorrowful. Marky Sorrowful's doll. That's right, honey. You're my doll. You dirty double-crossing Welsh are letting a kid pull you out of this. Leave this doll out of our argument, Milk here. I love you, Sorrowful. I love you too, honey. Come on. Up you come. That's the doll. Sorrowful's gonna take you home. Marky, dance first? Not tonight, Marky. You gotta go home. You gotta get out of this wet nightgown. There'll be another time, Sorrowful. Sure. Sure there will, Milky. But you better not try to stop me now, do you understand? You better not try to stop me now. And what happens is that Sorrowful turns his back on Milky, and without even looking back once... He carries Marky out of the club, her blonde head snuggled on his shoulder. But that is not the end. It seems that Marky catches a bad cold because of the wet nightgown. And Sorrowful will have it no other way but that she goes to the best hospital in town. And all the citizens who know Marky are right there, too. We are waiting outside Marky's room when Sorrowful comes out. How is she, Sorrowful? Not good, Harry. She... Well, she looks like she's got pneumonia. Oh. Uh, what's... What's the doc say? Nothing, Broadway. Move over. I want to sit down. Sure. Anything we can do, Sorrowful? Nothing, Harry. Thanks. I see you boys to stay here with me. Oh, it is nothing, Sorrowful. We... We... We want to stay with Marky, too. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's funny... A few weeks ago, I'm, I'm just a bookie. Today, I... I... Listen, that kid's got to get better. Sure, Sorrowful, sure. That's right, she will. Look, look, look at the papers. Somebody thought a big shot was here because all the boys were coming to the hospital. But we told them about Marky. Look, look, look at the story. Uh, we're all here. Yeah, that is right. We're all here. Milky. I have a tough time catching up with you, Sorrowful. 
You're not in any of the joints, but I read the papers and... Uh... Look, Milk Gear, uh, you don't know what's happening. But I know what's going to happen. Come on, Sarapu, we got a date. Get out of here. Get out. Sure. And you go with me. Mr. Jones, uh, Mr. Jones. Doc, what's the matter, Doc? I think you'd better come in if she wants to. Sure, sure, right away. No, you don't. Not this time. You heard the doc. I gotta go in there. Not without me. I'm going in that room, Milk here. All right, but you're coming right back out. And just to see that nothing happens, everybody's going in. Come on, Broadway, Harry, move. Uh, Not all of you, just Mr. Jones. Everybody goes in, Sawbones. Move out of the way. But shut up. How do you feel, baby? I'm awful tired. And I want to dance. In a little while. Sure. Hey, is, uh, is this the same kid that comes in the club that night? Yeah, yeah. The, the same kid. Hey, hey, she looks pretty sick. Marky. Marky, you thought you are going to get... You're going to get better, huh? For sorrowful? Marky loves... Is is he crying? Yeah. Yes. Sorrowful. Marky wanna go home. Sure, baby. Sure. Hey, Doc, what's the matter? You can't do anything for this kid. We have, but she needs the best specialist. Specialist? Who? Get him, will you? I don't care what it costs, but get him. I'm sorry, but Dr. Beerfeld is retired now. He handles only special cases. This is special. Get him. Oh, you don't understand, Mr. Jones. He's very high-priced, and unless you are very well-known, he won't touch the case because he's retired. Is this Beerfeld in the city? Yes. Sorrowful? Yeah, what, Milky? You're uh, really nuts about this kid, huh? I guess I am. Wait here. I'm going to get this Beerfeld. With that, Milk here leaves the room. It's not more than a couple of hours later that we're all sitting in the hall outside Marky's room when Milk here comes back. He's got some of his boys with him. And walking fast in front of them is a short, fat little guy in pajamas. His hair is all must, and his eyes are popping from his head. You all arrest him. Boys, this is Dr. Beerfeld. He is here. You, you, thugs, you, you gunmen. Doc, you did come. These lawless idiots came and got me. He does not want to come at first, but we use persuasion. I tell you, I will have you all arrested, convicted, sentenced. Look, Doc, Doc, you got to help. You're the only one who can. I will help none of you, you, you gorillas. Kill yourselves off, but I will not save one like you. I will not. It's, it's my kid. My, my, Marky, she's... She's got pneumonia. I tell you, I will not submit to this outrage for one of your... Uh, did you say a child? Yeah, mine, Doc. My kid. My doll, Marky. A child? Well, why don't you say so in the first place? Where is she? Right there, Doc, in that room right uh, there. Good. We wait out here. And somebody, please get me some pants. Doc. Doc, I thought you were never coming out. How is she? Uh, she's a very sick baby. Uh, four in the morning. It was a long night. Now the fever's broken. Yeah. She, she, she'll be all right, huh? Uh, your daughter will be all right. Oh, Broadway. Huh? Harry, Mitzi, Milky, wake up. Yeah. Wake up, Mark. He's going to be okay. Hey, the doc says so. It's all okay. Oh, I'm awful glad, sorrowful. <laughs> doc, you are a very lucky guy. I am? Why? Three guesses. Well, I guess that is that. I guess I gotta thank you too, Milky. I, uh. uh Milky. You. 
I'll go with you now. Huh? Maybe I could be wrong about that parley, Sorrowful. It could be I am wrong. I think you're right about it. Stop in my place later and I'll get it off my books. <laughs> <laughs> Where is she? Little girl. Your little girl. Yes, yes, I read it in the paper. She... Oh, Mr. Jones. You, huh? You come back, huh? Where is she? Is she all right? I do not understand. Are you talking about the same child? Yeah. The same doll. She's in that room. Is it? Is it all right if I go in? It is not. Let him go, Milkier. He's her father. I'll be right back. Well, uh, I've done all I can. I, I will go now. Yeah, oh, send me your bill, Doc, will you? I, Sorrowful Jones is the name. Anybody will tell you where I am. All right. Goodbye. Sorrowful? You're going to give up Marky? Got any ideas? But look, Sorrowful. He's our father. Maybe I kind of know how he feels. Especially after tonight. But Sorrowful, he gave her to you. Gave her to you for a marker. He's our father. A real father. And I'm thinking that maybe... I'm not so good for the doll. That character is... Shut up. She's, uh, she's sleeping. I didn't want to wake her up. Uh-huh. Broadway. Yeah? Come on in with me. Sorrowful. Sorrowful. You gonna answer her, Sorrowful? No. She... She's just talking. In her sleep. There is nothing Sorrowful can do about it. Marky does belong to a father, whom we find out is a kind of a black sheep, but he is due for a lot of money when his grandfather leaves it to him. Sorrowful does not even bother to ask him what becomes of him that day he leaves the dollars of Marky. Well, it is a funny thing, but it happens that Sorrowful changes again. He puts back on the old blue sage suit, he gives up the classy joint on 59, and he loses his smile. But it is not until some days later that the payoff comes which I will tell you in a minute. Come some days later. It is one night when I am sitting in Mindy's with Sorrowful talking about it. It's better this way, Broadway. The doll has nothing with me. She almost died because she comes out that night looking for me. Yeah, maybe you are right. Look. Hmm? That's Marky's father coming in. Yeah, that's him. Looks like he's looking for someone. Yeah, he's coming over. Are you going to let him have a snoop full of fingers, Sorrowful? Quiet. Gee, I've been looking all over for you, Mr. Jones. They, uh, they told me I'd find you here. They tell you the truth. You, uh, mind if I sit down? Go ahead. Thanks. Well, look, Mr. Jones, I, uh, I don't know how to begin, but, uh... Well, uh, well, just any time you want to come and see Marky, you'll be welcome. Thanks. But I'm never that far uptown in the classy neighborhoods. Oh. Uh, well, I, uh, 
I know you went to a great deal of trouble for Marky, clothes, everything, and that hospital bill. Now, my grandfather's very wealthy, and he's willing to pay you. And we do owe you something, don't we? Yeah, I guess you do. I guess you do. Fine, fine. All you have to do is name it. My grandfather will pay it. Sure. I'll trouble you to send it to me so I can get you off my books. Of course. Uh, how much does it come to? I got it marked down right here in my little book. You owe me two dollars for the bet you blew that day. So ends the story of Little Miss Marker, another famous Damon Runyon story. Listen in again next week for... The Damon Runyon Theater. The Damon Runyon Theater with John Brown as Broadway is directed by Richard Sandville, and the story is adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. This is a Mayfair production. And that'll do it for this week's folks. Hopefully Monica will be back soon and she'll get over her illness. At some point, if you want to contact Monica, remember, you can contact her at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. So, folks, we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.